This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 136, Spotlight on Star Trek. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. This is episode 136. It's our spotlight on Star Trek. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and I'm joined by my co-host... Tibor Mate. And we also are going to have in the background the sounds of a, of a, of a, um, a bustling baby. Uh, my son, Zach Chapman, who is uh, joining us as well on the podcast. The next generation. He is the next generation indeed. Uh, so today we're just talking general Star Trek. Um, kind of where it's been, where it is now, what could be in the future for the Star Trek uh, franchise... Uh, I feel like maybe we'll, in some time in the future, I'd like to have future episodes talking about Star Trek, where we get into specific series and specific favorites, etc. Um, Sounds good. That's a certain element of geekdom, obviously, uh, or a huge element, actually. Yeah. Uh, Star Wars and Star Trek are huge aspects of uh, sci-fi geekdom, I guess you would say. Um, now, you've briefly in the past kind of told us a little bit about your background with Star Trek on our Spotlight on Star Trek in the Darkness episode that we did last May, I guess, right? Yep. Uh, but I guess refresh us a little. What is kind of your, your long history with the Star Trek brand? Well, I've been a Star Trek fan as long as I can remember. Come by it through my mother, who was a fan of the original series back in the 60s when it was first on. And, uh, I mean, I remember like childhood memories of Sunday mornings being Star Trek in church. <laughs> that was like every Sunday for the longest time. Now in Canada, that was that, that was in the new VR, wasn't it? At one point, at CKVR, I think used to show it. Yeah, sun, the classic series on Sunday, Sunday mornings. mornings yeah. yeah. Again, if you're in the Toronto area and the Barry area, you know what we're Channel talking Twenty about. on Rogers. Otherwise, you have no clue. <laughs> yeah, no, that was it. And uh, I, I used to hate the original series as a kid. Like I just couldn't stand it. I thought it was really cheesy. And really, well, I, I was young, right? I didn't understand the concepts and. Now, it just looked like an old When you were a kid, show. were you also watching like the Adam West Batman series? Cause, oh, yeah. I love Adam West Batman. So it's interesting because, I mean, same time period. True, Both yeah. hokey in their own way, yet one more so than the other. I guess so. It just, yeah, it didn't appeal to me as a kid. Like, it, interesting. It was, it was probably a, the, the Star Trek movies that appealed to me more as I grew up. Oh, they were a lot more serious. And that's when I think Star Trek felt more serious and not as campy as the 60s were. But to be honest, it's, it's very emblematic of 60s anything. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Like, it definitely has that element of, like, cheese and, you know, the cheese factor, but it's... There's a certain winking at the camera, almost, you know? Like, we're, we're doing something a little silly. Yeah, I mean, even the musical notes, like, that, you know, the little, like... Oh, yeah. Allude to, like, stuff, you know, like, it's kind of funny, right, when you watch it now, but... I remember that I ended up doing, like, a rewatch when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. I watched everything, like, original series started from episode one all the way through, and, I mean, I've seen certain episodes through the years like more than others yeah but i actually just sat down and watched every single episode and like talk about a mind blow like it's you know when you when you think back like so the concepts that they discuss and, no for sure i watch it now and i'm just like wow like that's pretty advanced stuff but again as a kid you're not seeing that yeah absolutely like you're seeing the phasers and you know like and the action and that kind of stuff and like mm-hmm. oh the technology looks cool yeah you're not you're not interested in the concepts as a child like and that's pretty much my next generation experience mm. going into next gen it's a, like you know as a kid I, I wasn't as interested in the concepts but then I, I feel like the next gen I've watched a lot more yeah and seen the episodes over and over again and yeah. so I sort of can't remember that like transition of 
when I st- like saw them as cheesy, like just mm-hmm. for the the effects. And, and stuff, then you started to see it for something as more. as more. Yeah, like I don't know when that happened, but like, it's interesting to note that I mean, you and I were the same age, and I guess though when Star Trek Next Generation went off the air, we were only eleven. Yeah, it's hard like, to believe now. But that doesn't like, even seem right because we're both eighty three, so nineteen eighty three, not. <laughs> I don't think anyone made that mistake. But it, it, yeah. just so, it feels so weird that we're in like 2014 already. I remember like the year 2000 being a big thing. Oh, yeah. That, uh, that is weird. I'm especially like I'm excited for next year because obviously 2015 was Back to the Future 2, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. You know, and, and that's weird when you think like, you know, the original movie can't well have come out 30 years earlier. Well, it was just funny to think like Con and, and the, the whole thing was 1996, right? Like, yeah. That's when they were supposed to take off and that was so far in the future. Oh, it's crazy. When, when uh, you know. Well, that, that, that's constantly being rewritten. I mean, uh, I remember in the, there's a 70s concept in comics. There's a, uh, there's Iron Man 2020, which again was so far advanced. Yeah. And now it's like, that's like really soon. It's not even that far so away anymore. So now I think they just introduced the concept of Iron Man 3030. Oh, that's Cause, funny. Because don't worry, that's really far away. And even in the, in the 90s, they had the concept of uh, 2099 was an idea of like this, this very big future. And now it's like, that's not that far away. I mean, it is still. It's still 80 years, but it's not 100 years. So. Yeah, it's just kind of interesting that they chose the 23rd century like to start Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's, it's I, like, I, I don't know exactly when that decision was made, but it's kind of cool. It's Seems kind of random. Like, yeah, it's just like so far ahead, but, you know, it was, it was kind of kind of neat that they did it. Yeah, and then obviously Next Generation being in the 24th century. Well, yeah, and that was Which makes sense. Yeah, to... that was a conscious decision. I think, and a lot of that stuff like got established in Next Generation, right, was when they sort of went back and figured out, okay, exactly what the years are, right? Mm-hmm so that they lined up properly yeah well because by then people cared more about that stuff I mean I, obviously yeah it's true in the 60s I guess it wasn't were, as important it was kind of footloose and fancy free they were creating a new world but not necessarily worrying about that world like that's what comic books are like I mean they started creating these continuities and they weren't really thinking about it because comic books they didn't even expect them to last you know 20 years at max you know like yeah. the fact that we're still reading Spider-Man comics is Stanley is obviously proud of it but I mean he never would have thought that that character would be around 50 years later yeah, no, absolutely. Oh, I, I thought like we both watched that uh, 50th anniversary, um, an adventure in time and space, right? Yeah, the, for Doctor with Who, the beginning of Doctor mm. Who, and it was kind of interesting that the the guy that played the Doctor, so the, um, William Hartnell, mm-hmm. the first Doctor, and he was saying how um, he was like, oh well, no, I have to know what the buttons do. Yeah. So that it's consistent, which I thought was kind of neat. Like it's an idea. Yeah, like it wasn't. I guess that wasn't really prevalent back then, but especially for children's fair. Yeah, absolutely. Stuff, like it's like, like, oh, who cares? What, what who cares? Children don't know, right? Yeah, exactly. But yeah, it is. It is kind of cool. Like I'm sure you know. Obviously, like even like um, Brent Spiner was saying how he came up with like a rhythm to do the buttons, do. right? Like he never used the like it was just sort of he had a rhythm that he would use, which is that's a real, um, yeah, which was kind of cool, kind of neat to see for sure. So that was it, kind of your. So your beginning was growing up in the TOS, and then as you're yeah. growing up as well, you're then introduced to the Next Generation when that started. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure like my first Star Trek film was probably Star Trek three or four, but I, I don't remember exactly. The I, first Star Trek movie I remember seeing in the theater clearly is Star Trek six. Me too. I remember going with my dad, and that was a big deal. That was um, ninety one. I saw that at the uh, the Eglinton Theater that used to be near us, and. It was a big theater. It was, it, was, it was one of those... You don't see it anymore, but one of those movie theaters where it only had one big screen. Yeah, it was huge. And it, was it was like a 300-seat like auditorium, which was unreal. Like, and, it was a cool and I remember seeing that movie and just being blown away. And to this day, I still think 6 is my favorite. Yeah, out of the original series film, 6 is definitely my favorite. And probably... Wait, it is your favorite? I thought 6 too. No, nah, man, 6 is my favorite. 2 is probably second favorite. Zach but, agrees. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, because six is absolutely incredible. Um, I watch it now, and I'm, I'm, I still, I whenever I see it on TV, I have to watch it. Yeah, it's an awesome movie. Like, it's just the it's the mystery aspect of it. Like, yeah. you know, just there's so many like so many great quotes. Like, mm-hmm. Just oh, the yeah. whole scenario too, like very Shakespearean, and uh, again, a uh, very the end of Cold War kind of idea. Oh, absolutely! It, like Nic- Nicholas Myers was, was conscious of that, and uh, what's that? Uh, like that was a conscious decision to do that. Yeah. So, well, it works so well, and it still works. And it just works so well with that the, the Klingons, right? Like. Well, you know, showing that progression of like how did the Klingons become allies, like, mm-hmm. it was, it was just, and it was just so cool because up until that point we really didn't know, right? We True. just saw Worf on the bridge, sort of thing. Oh, for sure. And I mean, that was another great move to bring oh, hey, Michael Doran. Oh, that was it. awesome. And uh, it's kind of funny because I was reading a story about that, and I don't think Nicholas Meyer realized how far in the future Next Gen was. Oh, really? Because he they, he just like was like, oh, we should bring one of the characters that's on the Next oh. Generation. And um, and because right. of it being a Klingon story, he naturally wanted Worf. Of course. And then they were like, uh, yeah, Worf's not going to be really alive at that point. No. Right? So then they made it his grandfather, that's which great. I thought was Which really is cool. an awesome connection between the two. Yeah, it's great. And it's kind of cool because he's played the different incarnations of the character. which was He's been cool. involved in an original series project and the Next Gen yeah. project and the DS9 project. Yeah. I guess the only one he hasn't been involved with was... Uh, well, Voyager he wasn't involved in. No. Neither was Enterprise. But Frakes, on the other hand... Was He's on been most of it. Next Gen, Deep yeah. Space Nine, Voyager, and Enterprise. He got in on the last you episode. You kind of include Generations as being a little bit of a TOS movie. I guess, but he really Not didn't really. interact with. Uh, no, he didn't interact with the uh, with Kirk. Whereas in the other ones, well, I guess technically Deep Space Nine was uh, wasn't uh, William Riker as Thomas Riker. Oh yeah, so but still, he, he's had connections. Yeah, which is kind of cool. Um, but yeah, I, going from there, what's it? So that was the movies, and then Next Generation. I would watch as it, like obviously from '87. My mom was watching it, um, and yeah, I mean it's it's hard to say what like I said where I transitioned from like just being about like phasers and ships. This is yeah, cool exactly. to like the concepts. But I do remember Deep Space Nine coming out like pretty clearly. That was what '94. Uh, yeah, it would have been '93. '93 because it was '92, right? No, '93. Yeah, '93. It was January '93. It was oh, supposed okay. to come out in 92. So but, it came out during season 6 of TNG? Yeah, they oh, overlapped, okay. 6 and 7 of, okay. of TNG. Um, Again, I, I know you love DS9. and I, I'm a huge fan I of I feel DS9. like I would have to re- watch a lot of it to really... Because for a while, like, it, it felt like a weird runt to me. Like I, I, I liked it later on, and I thought yeah. it got a lot better. And I, I've always joked about this, but that I, when, um, when Cisco lost his hair and had the beard, I always thought that was kind of when it got better. Like when he when he was yeah. when he had a bald head and had the beard, I thought that was the best. Although one of the episodes I remember most clearly, he still had the hair, and that was the I think their first time travel episode when he became Bell. Yeah, yeah, it was a um, uh, who's a, a I guess a, a revolutionary figure from Earth's past. And yeah, had, which would have been like around now too. It's like they go back to what yeah. is it like two thousand something two thousand sixteen or something. Which again seemed farther. <laughs> Yeah, obviously. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I gotta double check the date, but yeah, it's it's kind of cool. But I'm, I'm so I remember that Gabriel cool. Bell. Gabriel Bell. I remember that very clearly, and then I don't remember a lot else from DS Nine until I think it really found its footing, which was when it had the war. And I think its best episodes were when it kind of involved having more of a because that kind of is what made it different than any other Strek series is that it was much more it had an ongoing storyline. Which Absolutely. was something that started to happen more in science fiction shows and just shows in general. Because up until then, t- television for the most part was more episodic in general. 
Yeah, well, the, the big controversy is the Babylon 5 uh, Deep Space Nine controversy, mm-hmm. right? Which, because um, I've also watched Babylon 5 and I enjoy it quite quite a lot. Yeah. It's good. Um, but yeah, there was the, the apparently uh, JMS. J. Michael Straczynski, for those not in the know. Which I'm pretty sure if you're listening to If you listen to the podcast, you're, you're probably, probably in the know on that. Even if you, don't, if you don't know him from Babylon 5, you at least know him from comic books, Rising Stars, Midnight Nation, Amazing Spider-Man, uh, The Twelve. Like, he's done enough. <laughs> so, yeah, he apparently pitched the idea of Babylon 5 to Paramount. Oh, really? Before it got picked up. And, okay. And um, so he was quite pissed off. And there are a lot of similarities. Oh, for Both sure. Of them take but there's place enough on, difference. On, station, on a space station. Yeah. Um, What's it? Uh, there's a lot of like even like one of the names. What's it? Uh, the Membari leader. I can't even think of his name right now. Oh, uh, uh, Dukat. Dukat. And the villain on Duke Satan is Dukat, right? Like, so oh the, yeah. There's a, there's quite a few little similarities that are kind of you know you just got to wonder if there was a lot of influence from that on the creators. But I mean, I I know they've claimed that they were in the process of making the show already yeah, and stuff. Yeah. So. I mean, yeah, it's similar enough, but different enough too that like they are very different shows, especially beyond the concept. Oh yeah, and you know, concept is 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 only one thing. Like I remember when Once Upon a Time came out a couple years ago on ABC, and it was the show about the fairy tale characters, and there was a lot of people decrying the fact that there's a lot of service similarities to a beloved comic book called Fables, okay. which at the time was being potentially shopped around and developed into a TV series. And then along comes this other show that has very similar kind of idea that you have fairy tale characters living in the modern world in some way. Now they're completely different, but the, the core concept of fairy tale characters in the in the modern world was very similar. So a lot of people were upset about this. And then I think the the fables creators were kind of like, "Don't work, like we all have these characters. Like yeah, yeah. They're, they're public domain. They can do whatever they want." don't think that, that they're ripping us off. That's not what this is. Well, and at the same time, you had TV shows like Grimm coming out the same year, again, based on Grimm fairy tales. So, right, I mean, right. Surface similarities, people get so caught up in these things. But it's really, true. it's where you go in directions afterwards. I think it's just sort of the timing as well, because Deep Space Nine would have been 93, and then Yeah, the timing is definitely... It was pretty close, right? Yeah. And, um, but yeah, I mean, if you look at a lot of shows, they are, when, when you look at just basic concept, they are fairly similar. Oh, for sure. But yeah, like Deep Space Nine, again... I did a rewatch uh, last year. Yeah, and uh, I feel like you're always doing a rewatch. Well, I mean, Next Generation. I don't like ever really sit down and watch all of them sequentially. Any like, no. if it's on, I'll watch it. Plus, I'm now I'm watching them on Blu-ray. Yeah. So, uh, which by the way, if you haven't seen any of the Star Trek: The Next Generation on Blu-ray, it's it's fantastic. a revel- It's a revelation. Like it's it's unbelievable how good the show looks all these years later. Like I mean, I hats off to CBS for doing. The work that they're doing, like they're, they're not you know skipping anything. Like they're they're going in and they're doing it well. Like they're, they're Which is impressive. breaking it right down all the way to the original film elements, because yeah. a lot of putting it all back together. That. Well, they know that they can bank on it, right? Like, yeah, they know people are going to buy. it. They know the Star Trek property, and it's like unfortunate. Like for example, Babylon Five, as good of a show as it is, like apparently, like they went and lost all the CGI elements. Really? Yeah. So in the archives, they're totally gone. That's so unfortunate. Which is unfortunate because you'd have to build from scratch. And that costs a lot of money, and we'll probably never see that. So probably we'll probably never no. see a high def Babylon uh, Five. No. And at the end of the day, it doesn't have the same kind of base. No, it doesn't. It's more niche. I and guess. it's not even going to. And it's not just having a, a large base, but having a rabid base. Star Star Trek and Star Wars fans are pretty insane. Oh, absolutely! Like it's, the hardcore make it a make it um, money making opportunity enough. Oh, absolutely! And Paramount's been making money off my back since 
I can't remember. But. Yeah, I mean, every time they change a the format, they just go, hey, Tibor, you want this? Yeah, it's true. I, well, to be fair, I never got them on VHS. Thank God I wasn't old enough to uh, really oh my God. invest. Because I know guys that have, like, the entire VHS set, which was, like, one episode per VHS. That's so sad. Well, I mean, it's what not else sad. Could they I do? mean, that's a, but that was the best way to get them. Yeah, right? like, no, at the it's time. True. It's just, it's a, that was a lot of money to invest, but... No, for sure. I mean, I did buy them all on, on DVD, and I am buying them on Blu-ray. I was hesitant, but I, I remember actually it was a, the, getting the sampler, and we watched it together, That's right, right the yeah. sampler. And it was great. Yeah, it's, like, that sold me right and there. And plus the document, I, I think more than anything, wasn't it one of the first documentaries where they were kind of showing side-by-side comparisons of... Absolutely, yeah, they were showing how they were doing the restoration. In case you weren't sold already on looking at it... And seeing these side by side comparisons were just breathtaking. Yeah. Like the amount you could see the work that they put into it. It was so clear, and it wasn't until then you realized how shitty the ones looked. Yeah, absolutely, and like how matted the uniforms. Like the color is so faded in comparison, mm-hmm. like just de- details that you wouldn't have necessarily noticed as much. Like yeah. they really stand out. Now. And again, it's the type of thing where I mean, back then we didn't have high depth televisions. No, absolutely, we didn't have it the was... ability to see these things. Well, and there's like I know there's been like certain things that they've had to fix where like. You know, something didn't show up on the frame as much, but mm. they, they've had to like sort of uh, either remove it, like equipment and stuff. Like that was the other thing was putting it in a widescreen. A lot of fans wanted it in yeah. widescreen, but that was they framed for three by five, right? Yeah. It's, uh, so was it three by four? Or, yeah, whatever or four television, whatever, whatever television standard was back then. Yeah. And the problem is that all that stuff on the sides, like there was equipment and whatnot, so they can't put it in widescreen. No. And I appreciate not going into widescreen because yeah, I find like for example, they did that with the X Files. Oh, really? It was aired in like standards, uh, yeah. standard uh, old TV standard back then. Yeah, um, and I know like certain episodes, like they've gone wide, and you can tell like the like shots are not like mm. you know like Scully's top of her head is missing or oh really and like you know it's a subtle detail that you, if you don't are not focused on it, but you can tell it's not framed right. I have a random um, kind of Blu-ray question about that kind of stuff, uh, which is more or less off topic, but. I just want to know what you think about it. Okay. Um, whenever they release these diamond editions of old um, old Disney films okay. on Blu-ray, sometimes they have the, the weird borders where they, they, they kind of put a border into the movie so that you don't notice that it's not in full sc- and not in widescreen. Okay. Do you, do you wish they ever had that with Star Trek stuff, or do you like just the black space? Oh no, I love the black space. Don't okay. don't just give me the two black lines. I have no problem with that. Okay, just curious. Yeah. It, but have you seen that with the Disney films? No, I haven't really noticed. Some that, of them actually. actually they, have well, that's because like the old movie standard was different too. It was very it? different. Yeah. yeah. So you're really just watching like a standard kind of box. Yeah, it's like and, a standard square. And most TVs, all TVs these days are basically widescreen. Yeah, there's not too many that are square anymore. No. Actually, I'm going to tell you a, a random story, and uh, I maybe I shouldn't bother with this in the podcast, but I found it funny. Uh, my mom this year had for Christmas. It said, "Can you please get me a Blu-ray player?" Uh, every, a lot of things are on Blu-ray these days. I want to. I can get Blu-rays from yeah. the library. Sometimes you buy, you get things on Blu-ray, and then I can't watch them. Yeah. So they're like, get me a Blu-ray player. So I got them one, not really thinking a lot about it, and I forgot, didn't think about you know what. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff, right. Uh-oh. So I got them a nice, uh, a nice Blu-ray player, and I gave it to them. It was a nice Sony. They couldn't and, hook it up. And they're excited for the Netflix and everything. And my dad has an old TV. He does have a newer TV, but it's in their kitchen, and that's not where they wanted to have the Blu-ray player. Yeah. And then it was, and then this Blu-ray player I gave them didn't have wireless internet capability. It was only the card wired. Oh, okay, yeah. So yeah. then it would be too far away from their box. Well, a lot of standalones are like that. Yeah. I know, and I, I, I take for granted that I have a PS3, right? So right. I never had the nerve to do that. Anyway, so my mom, she I guess, was reading online, and she thought that she read something about some sort of HDMI to like standard coax. Yeah, it doesn't work. So she went into a, a, a future oh, shop. Man. Well, no, this is a funny story. So she goes to a future shop, says to my dad, I'm going to this future shop. I'm going to come back. So she comes back, and he's like, did you get it? She's like, no, but I bought a new TV. 
And he's oh, like, wow. wait, what? And so, I mean, I didn't realize their TV at home was like 27-inch or something small. So they now have a 32-inch, which for them is bigger. Yeah. So then they have this 32-inch, and they hook it up. But then they realize, my dad's stereo is so old, they can't hook up the stereo to it. Oh, Jesus. It's a 1972 stereo. Anyway, so then they realize, well, but wait a minute. That would be probably easier to convert, I would think. Potentially. So, but then they realize, okay, well, all this time we, we've been paying for an HD box through our router service, but they didn't have a TV to hook it up to. Well, now they're going to hook up this HD box, but this HD box is now so old that they called Rogers to oh, activate okay. this, and they're like, it's too old. You have to go and get a new one. It's like, fuck. And I'm like, I felt bad because all this, this is all because Blu ray player. All from this, this Blu ray player I got them. So now they hook up this new cable box, and now they have like each. So now they have all these channels. They've Welcome to the 21st before. century. Right, yeah. And, but now you've got to get them Star Trek The Next Generation on Blu-ray. And they, yeah, I don't know about that. They were able to hook up the stereo to the cable box, but for some reason not to the Blu-ray player yet. Anyway, so the, uh, it's a total tangent, but I just thought that was a funny story. I, I wanted to do good and be the good son who gets them a Blu-ray player, and I inadvertently made them spend a lot of money to get a new TV. Well, not good a job. lot, because they can get them pretty cheap, but they got now they have a new TV. and So I brought them into the, into the next gen. There you go. Right there. Uh, where were we before I took us on this tangent? Uh, we were talking about next generation Blu-rays. It was a, uh, yeah. a little bit. And, um, uh, at some point, I'd love to own that stuff. I just find it so so expensive. It's a bit pricey, it's but it is cheaper most... than the DVDs. Of course. Oh yeah, those are like what one hundred and twenty. They're like one hundred and twenty bucks a pop in Canada. Yeah, I mean, I, I would love to own this stuff. I just think the problem for me is. That, yeah, it's it's one of the most expensive licenses it seems. Like most stuff. Well, yeah, they want to make their money back. You know, like. But for me, it's first day purchase. I know. I've got, I've bought every single one. So no, what I did like what they were doing is that they were having some releases for this TNG stuff on Blu-ray in theater. In yeah, that was really theaters. cool. So we got to see best of both worlds in theater. The only yeah. problem with seeing it was that they put the feature at first. Yeah, that was really stupid. Which is, there was a fantastic featurette before the film, which was all uh, before the two episodes, explaining the making of, and it was really interesting. Like I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, it was good. That's all this like content from the DVD, like from the Blu-ray sets. Yeah, and it was, and it's all. I guess it's all exclusive to the Blu-rays, right? It's all new content. That they yeah, did. it's all new. Yeah. And it's new interviews, and I thought it was, it was just a lot of stuff about how they made it, how they created the story, stuff with the cast. Really great. Problem is, they put it before the film, and well, in our case, we brought my wife. Yeah, and a few uh, someone else who I guess there's seen a, it before? I think three people or four people they've never seen it before. Never seen it. Yeah. They watch a documentary which heavily samples the episode. Oh spoils yeah, totally every, ruins everything. Yeah, spoils every surprise, and it was just kind of like, you know, at, at then it was almost like you've already seen the episode, like you saw so much. Yeah, of it was it. really kind of stupid. They they basically assume that you're going going into it that you've seen it. But most of us were. I'm sure 85 percent of the people. Oh, uh, probably were. yeah. But, but still, like, why would you ruin it for someone that's going in and doesn't know that Picard's going to become Lacutus? Well, exactly. Because like that's, that, as a kid, that, I mean... Oh, spoiler alert, by the way. Yeah, well, that's... A little late, I guess. Yeah, like a 24-year-old spoiler. I, well, guess, what, I guess... When would that episode have come out? Um, uh, that would have been, what's like it, like, his third season, right? So it's a, uh, that would have been 90, I guess, right? 90, 87. It started in, what, 87? 87, 87, 87 yeah. 88, 89, 90, yeah. So, like, 90, 91 is when Best of Wealth Quotes came out. Yeah. Again, that doesn't seem that long ago. It doesn't seem like I was seven years old watching that. Yeah, it, it's like see, it's tough for me to remember exactly like, if I remember seeing it for the first time. Like I do remember watching that for the first time with my dad. See, I don't, I, I don't think I remember it the first time, but it's it's hard to say. Like it's been so long, right? I mean, and I've seen it so many times since. So it's, yeah, I mean, for me, TNG will always be my favorite of the Star Trek properties. 
partially because like I, I well like, we grew up with it we were the next I guess I didn't really say my, my spot very similar to you I, yeah. I remember watching it Sunday mornings the black and white one not black and white sorry I remember watching it at the cottage in black and white oh okay uh, that's I was going to say it was filmed in color it was filmed in color and one of my strongest memories of watching TNG sorry uh, TOS is when I was at the cottage with my dad and again this is only probably like two times a year but it's such a strong memory of it 10am watching this with my dad and it was in black and white because we had a black and white TV at the cottage with like bunny ears that we were barely able to kind of see it. And that was my first exposure to Star Trek. Yeah. And then I remember watching it with more of my dad. And when TNG started, we watched it all the time together. So that will always be like kind of the, the one I have the strongest connection to. Yeah. When DS9 came out, I kind of, I, again, I watched it, but I was never as big a fan. Voyager, never that big a fan. I mean, that one I, I was okay with missing episodes because yeah. it was all right because it was Star Trek and it was still like something I liked. It was still, you know, it was still a flavor I enjoyed, just not the best flavor. And then by the time Enterprise came out, I, I wasn't really watching a lot of shows on cable, on uh, regular cable, because I was at university. I didn't really get a lot of channels up there, so I just kind of fell away. And I remember watching Enterprise season four and loving it. I mean, I remember down, I would download. Oh that. yeah, Enterprise season four. Yeah, I remember downloading that specifically because I remember you told me a little bit about it. I'm like that actually sounds really cool. Yeah, and those are some of the I think the best episodes of that series. Uh, but there's a lot of Enterprise I missed. Yeah, well, I mean, like I watched everything from like so Next Generation all the way right through to Enterprise. Like I watched it pretty religiously. Whenever it aired, you I mean, there were a few Voyagers that I missed because I thought it was the weakest of the bunch. Um, we were talking about Deep Space Nine earlier, and you were saying how the war was the big thing that made it different. Mm-hmm. And uh, but when you do watch Deep or an ongoing storyline at all, that's true. Yeah, the, having the continuous because they, they, all of Next Generation was pretty much episodic except for the couple two parters. Yeah, or I mean, you had a sense of the continuity, especially when it came to like the Borg. Yeah, they would they would come back to things, but it wouldn't necessarily like it wasn't as important no. to have watched every episode. And that was the whole point was that you could just pick up any episode and sort of. And most TV shows it. at that time were like that, that. was the style. Absolutely. I mean, that nowadays was, it's hard to believe that because most shows come out with like the like the creators have like a show bible and they know where it's going to go. And yeah, especially sci-fi shows these days. Like, well, I mean, the original Star Trek had an extensive bible on how to write it and stuff like that. But at yeah, the same but time, not where it was going. Not for storyline specific. Like, and there weren't like much. there weren't underlying mysteries. And no, stuff, yeah, like the nature of things, right? I mean, it, back in the sixties, you didn't even have VCRs, right? No, so you couldn't just catch up later, right? So that was sort of why they would do it, so that mm-hmm. in syndication, you just throw it around in any order. Yeah. Now with the advent of like PVRs and mm-hmm. you know Blu-ray sets, like you can catch up at any point, right? I, I do. One thing I kind of miss about television in general is uh, the idea of being able to kind of do that rewatch during the summer when they put on reruns. Which they don't really do anymore because now there's so much summer pro summer program. Yeah, and standard seasons are not necessarily a thing anymore. It's no. not, not everything starts in September. No, well, especially because you have all these cable networks that kind of do whatever they want. Which is I good. Mean, which is kind of nice that you. I mean, if you watch you enough can get TV, new material all year round. Which exactly, is nice. which didn't used to be the case, and it, and that kind of used to be nice. And I remember they used to kind of um, advertise it as like you know it's it, it's new to you. You know, because like you didn't have a chance to watch this because, again, you weren't able to have multiple recordings of all this stuff. I mean, now we take it for granted that on my PVR, I can record two programs at once. I can time shift. I can do all sorts of shit. But back in the day, you couldn't do that. Yeah. Well, you had to kind of decide what you wanted. Maybe you could record one of them on your VCR. Yeah. And that'd be about it. Well, again, that's why the format was the way it was. But then Deep Space Nine started changing that a little bit, which was cool. And I think what was interesting about Deep Space Nine is if you do watch the first few seasons, they're very much episodic as well. It wasn't as continuous um, mm. 
you know, and it sort of was still not trying. It was trying to figure out what it was going to go and like where yeah. it was, what it was going to do. So the first two seasons are a bit slower, but then it really picks up in the third and starts going with it. Is it surprising to you that um, that Voyager never really adapted anything like that? Really? Uh, yeah, it, it, it kind of bothered me in a way that Voyager, like I th- Voyager, to me is like out of all the shows, it's the one that had the like a lot of potential and just didn't live up to it. There's a little because it was a great it concept. Felt like it didn't know where it was going with it. Yeah, and it just became formalized, and I think that's what like it became a formula, mm-hmm. and I think that's where it all went wrong. Like I think that's where Star Trek started becoming a formula. Yeah, and I think unfortunately, well, there's less suspense because that was the one show where there could be suspense because well, you yeah. don't like they don't have to make it out alive. I feel like if they made that show today, we would see deaths. We would see oh, absolutely, like, it would be changes. a different show. And well, that was the big thing with Ron Moore. Like Ron Moore only like he finished Deep Space Nine, yeah. and then went to. Uh, Voyager, and I think he had issues also with Vernon Braga. They apparently didn't get along, even though they were the best of friends before that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was issues over where the show was going and how it was being done. And I know there was talk about doing a season arc or something, or a, oh, yeah. a majority of season arc. Remember the uh, From Hell or it's a Year of Hell? Uh, year of Hell episode? I think so. It was, I believe it was only two parts. So then uh, like Voyager starts falling apart, they can't fix it. Oh, really? Uh, people die. Neelix ends up working oh, yeah. in security because Tuvok's all messed up or something. Okay. That's a, which was fascinating stuff. Like it was really interesting, and it would have been so well, cool. It pushes the characters out of their comfort zone, absolutely. Which is the problem with a show like that is that you can get too sedentary. Because the beginning of the show was all about change. Like you're you're getting you know the Maquis and the star and the Star Trek. Yeah, but even that they assimilated pretty quickly. That's the that's the problem. Yeah, because right? it felt like it it could have been something where you'd have a lot of. Tensions, but well, that's the whole of... thing is they brought in uh, a device to make tension and make conflict because mm-hmm. that was apparently one of the big things that the writers had conflict with Roddenberry over Next Generation was it's too perfect. Well, he wanted no conflict amongst yeah. his main characters, yeah. but then how do you create drama with that? Right, that was the big thing. Well, and TNG seemed to do a pretty good job of it. They did, but at the same time, it's, sometimes it is difficult. To, what's that? I mean, they had pretty stringent, stringent uh, no, things, didn't. but as Roddenberry, you can tell as time went on. And once Roddenberry became less involved, you know, they had a bit more tension between the characters That's sometimes. True. They did things to, you know, change it up a bit, right? Because you can't have yeah. a show without tension. Like, no, you're right. Uh, I guess, conflict. I guess that, yeah, I guess it's you're the right. the nature of drama. His whole idea was like this idealized version. Well, and that was his whole thing. And it, I mean, in one way, in concept, it's not bad because it gives you that distinction between the original series and the next generation. Yeah. You know, you go from the cowboys to the diplomats yeah you know sure. and it, and it was, it's a cool thing to see that the two did together you know I mean it brings up the whole Kirk versus Picard debate mm-hmm. but I think they both have aspects of the you know like that are interesting and it makes for I know this is different a, types of TV I know this is a stupid question but what is your favorite Picard centric episode is it Interlight centric episode uh, yeah it's tough um, Interlight or uh, it's a Tapestry is also really good now remind me or in our listeners I guess which one Tapestry is uh, tapestry would be the one where uh, he goes back, and uh, it's a Q is God. Okay, right. What's You're gonna it? have to give it a little bit more because uh, Q is God is not. So he that he's on an away mission, and his heart gets uh, damaged. His oh, artificial heart. Okay, that is. And then he wakes up in heaven or the afterlife, I guess, and it turns out it's a uh, well. As far as he knows, Q presents himself as God. Right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he takes him back to the moment where he loses his heart so he could get it back if he wants to. Yeah. And then it turns out that that decision totally changed it. it said, uh, I love shit like that. It's future, basically, right? it's a wonderful life for Star Trek. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is sort of 
A Wonderful Life for Star Trek. But it's just such a great episode because it's just interesting to see, you know, the younger Picard, the more mm-hmm. uh, reckless Picard. Yeah, I guess it's nice to see different shades of Picard. And actually, it's interesting. Inner Light and Tapestry are all about showing different aspects of, or, or influencing him in different ways. Absolutely, yeah. Because Inner Light has a huge, profound impact on who he is. The rest see, of but the, that, the one problem with that, with that is that it has a huge impact. Or it should have had a bigger impact yeah, on the character. It's sort I agree. of. Because of the they were doing episodic, there were some it episodes sort of, where it, was it more sort of probably, fell off, right? Like, like I was watching one the other day, and you probably know more about it because I, I don't even remember seeing it where he gets, I guess, involved with someone in, in, on the crew who's, I guess, a, right? Yeah, what's a, a, a piano player? I believe that's called Lessons. What's a yeah, and he's playing not the flute, but you know what I mean. Yeah, he's playing the Ruskin uh, flute. Yeah, the Ruskin flute from Inner Light. Yeah, and so it, it just made me think of that because I'm like, I don't even remember this episode. Yeah, and it was interesting to watch. Uh, yeah, it was a cool. Uh, I, I thought that was a cool uh, episode as well. Like it was, you know, it gave a different side to him and seeing him as a character. as a romantic and seeing him happy. Yeah, well, I mean, Picard always had like that was always the thing, both in the original series and the Next Generation, was that you know the ship they're married to the ship, they're married to their mm-hmm. jobs, right? Which in one way is sort of a bad message if you think about it. It's like they didn't really have personal well, lives, right? Well, well Kirk kind of did. Not to the same. He, he like, batted some ladies. Yeah, but that was sort of like a distraction. Like it was never been anything. It wasn't except tr- for Carol Marcus, I guess. But we really didn't see much of that on no, screen. I guess it, yeah, the idea that was his true love. Well, isn't there a line somewhere that in one of the episodes, you know, you always come back to it? Yeah. Well, it was, there's there's uh, several references to like the Enterprise being his lady, sort of thing. Yeah. And like he's married to the Enterprise, right? So it's kind of interesting. Who's like, married to the Enterprise more? You think Kirk or, or uh, Picard? Uh, it's tough to say. I mean, they were both dedicated captains. They were both, you know, career uh, Starfleet, right? So it's a, though it's interesting too because that, that that was another thing that is, was. Is Kirk more about like just the the hunt, the chase, the the excitement, the exhilaration? Well, Kirk was also a younger captain, right? Like, he was, but then he got older and he still he never really got rid of that. Like even the movies, you can see that. Like in the first one, he's still bristling at being an admiral. He doesn't want to be. No, he never wanted to be stuck behind the desk. He always he, loved commanding a starship. He wanted to be on the ship, but yeah, he, is it more about the Enterprise itself or more just the thrill of adventure? Because I think that thrill of adventure isn't really found in Picard. It's more, he his, his is more the duty, the duty to serve, as opposed I, to the I adventure. Think Picard is an explorer too. Like there's a lot of episodes like. You know, he's a big fan of architecture and, and archaeology uh, and archaeology and stuff. Like that. True, so he, and we get to see these elements, but I think for the most part, it feels like more that he's the company. I think he man. was just more of a subtle guy. Like he was more sort of an introvert a little mm-hmm. bit, right? I mean, that, that was another thing. He never really hung out with the crew. Outside no, of, like, not till the end. Not till the end, and, and even then, like the, his last line, right? Was I should have done this sooner. Right? Yeah. Like, and it's kind of neat because uh, that he was he was for, sort of more removed from his crew, whereas. Kirk really depended on on McCoy and Spock a lot more in yeah. some ways, right? Both personally, he's and, kind of and, yeah emotionally dependent upon them. Well, yeah, and there's the whole thing of, of them being the trio, right? Like mm-hmm. Kirk is just pure emotion, Spock is opposite, pure logic, and, and then you have McCoy. well, I guess McCoy is sort of the emotion too, but it's a, and what then Kirk it? sort of brings them together, right? yeah, in a way, right? So it is kind of an interesting trio. Who would I mean if you had to name a trio for TNG? Who would that trio be? Well, see, that's the thing. It's hard. Never, they, no ne- real, they never did that, really. There's no they sort real of stay away from that. When you have two, you obviously have um, uh, Picard and Riker. I mean, that's kind of your one-two punch, but who completes that? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it was never the same sort of a dynamic. They, no. never, it's a, uh, they never went for that. But in the sake of this, of this discussion, who would, you, who would you put into that? 
It's it's the it's the Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman kind of thing. Like, who's uh, that? I would say that. I would. I guess Data would have to be the, the third. I mean, being the the three in order as well. Like, yeah. Of command, right? DS Nine, I think, would be easier because would you put Odo, Odo, Kira, and Cisco? Yeah. It, again, it's a different dynamic, right? Like, Completely different. Yeah. But that was a great thing. That was another thing that was really cool about Cisco. His command style was totally different. Oh yeah. Like uh, I mean, it, it was, when I did the rewatch of Deep Space Nine, it was really interesting to like. I noticed it more was the like discussions on the bridge. Mm-hmm. There was a lot more personal talk on the bridge. Yeah. On and on the defiant. That's true. Whereas like Picard would never have that. On, well, we just got to know list. more about Cisco in general right from the beginning. True. I mean, the first time the first thing we see about Cisco is well, they changed like, him up and made him a family man. Yeah, and, and like losing his his wife. Like that's yeah. one of the first things we learn about him. Whereas Picard, it took us a while before we learned more about his history. Oh, and, absolutely. And his background on the Stargazer. Like it. It wasn't about who he was. It was about what's happening now. Whereas DS9 was the first time we, we had more of a character study right from the get-go. Yeah. And it helped that, like, O'Brien kind of, we already knew more well, about I thought that O'Brien. was one of the really cool things, too, is the bringing over O'Brien and giving it, that character a chance to grow and keep, mm-hmm. keeping that connection to Next Generation. I thought that was cool. I really, really wish uh, well, and obviously the Michelle made... Forbes. Yeah. Well, Worf came in as a ratings boost. But as well, I think Worf well, I think became the show a much got more interesting character. The show got rejuvenated, I think, as well, by having a... This, this different character who had already kind of been explored, but they were able to do so much more with uh, him. Worf expanded big time on Deep Space Nine. He's much what, more of a developed But when character. he showed up, you wouldn't have thought this character hasn't No, that's true. He wasn't, yeah. Because he had Worf-centric episodes in D- on uh, TNG. He did more towards the end, yeah. But you didn't realize how much more we could do with him until DS9 exploded. He did do a lot of standing at the back, and especially, like, I guess it would have been about, like, first two seasons, he's really virtually hardly there. Yeah. Right? Oh, for sure. I mean, the death of Yar brought that character up big time. Yeah, so the first season, he's barely there. Yeah, and he was brought in as a last-minute, uh, like, it was one of the Roddenberry's last-minute ideas that, mm-hmm. let's bring a uh, Klingon onto the bridge and, um, and, and show that the Klingons and the Federation are now sort of at which peace. Which is cool. Which was a great idea, and it's kind of interesting how that was a last-minute idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, like, uh, there was also, again, with these Blu-ray sets, it's fascinating because you're getting all this, like, background information from the writers and stuff, these interviews are really cool because they're talking about stuff now more candidly because it's mm-hmm. time has passed. Well, plus, and the, there's interesting snippets of information that you're finding out. Yeah, like Ron Moore, I think, was talking about it where uh, he uh, wanted to write an episode about Worf because mm-hmm. Ron Moore really built up the Klingon mythology and next yeah. generation, and uh, and apparently Roddenberry was like, "Oh, Worf's not a main character." Really? Yeah. And because he, w- I think he went to Rick's office, Rick Berman, yeah, and pitched it or whatever, and then I guess Rick took it on to Gene or something yeah. and Gene was like yeah he's not a main character interesting which is kind of interesting to, th- to see that he would think of Worf as not a main character hmm. even though he brought him onto the show yeah that's interesting well I guess he was so tertiary he not enough to have a story about him I mean, if yeah you, if he you really at, doesn't get much he grunts like, more and like if, if you look at TOS like who really gets a story about them uh, that's true too actually yeah it's mostly focuses on the three the like, three yeah I mean you have like maybe one or like a, you have a handful of episodes about you know like Sulu, obviously there's the classic you know fencing. But that even not, that's that wasn't not really even, about him though. It's not even that episode's not really. It's about more like him. you have these specific character moments. Yeah, like, you have moments more so than than from, actual episodes. Yeah, so. which I think we yeah you see more of that in in Next Generation. Well, apparently that was one of the things um, that again in the third season of Next Generation that uh, Michael Pillar when he joined, okay. that was apparently one of Michael Pillar's things was who's this episode about. Oh, really? And that's what he, like, instructed the writers to... And that would have been a completely different methodology. Yeah, well, yeah, and, and again... I mean, if you look at TOS, a lot of it is very plot-heavy. 
Well, even in season again, one I'll... and two of, uh, even though there's some really cheesy shit in there of Next Generation. Mm-hmm. Again, yeah, it wasn't as much character centric as no. as it is about the stories. And I guess the idea of them being these perfect Paragon characters didn't help. No, it didn't help things. They, 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 it, they, took, they... it took time, and it's definitely like it's kind of interesting how uh, it's always like the first two seasons of every Star Trek is sort of weak in comparison. It takes and a I, while for it to kind of find to, its to keep legs. going, and especially with Enterprise. Like it's really unfortunate when you hear. Again, Enterprise is coming out on Blu ray now because mm-hmm. it's one of the easier shows to transfer because the stuff was already HD. Mm. So they're just transferring over, even though it wasn't full 1080, a lot of it. Yeah. It still looks pretty decent, even on Blu ray. So. Uh, even like a, car- a creator like Joss Whedon is like kind of hit and miss with the first seasons of his shows. Not in everyone, yeah. because obviously Firefly only had one season and it was brilliant. Yeah, it's 13 episodes of Amazing. But like the first, ep- the first season of Buffy was, you know, it's, it's kind of rough when you watch it now. It was, it was different. But yeah, I didn't mind it as much. It, it I don't think it was as rough as first episode or first season of TNG. Well, maybe not. No, but I mean, it, but it earned what happened later. Like the second season oh, yeah, of Buffy is, is, is fantastic. Um, actually, I finally bought Firefly and Blu-ray. Nice, ten, bu- good ten bucks. It's worth it. Insane. Well, yeah, for ten dollars you can't go wrong. It's less than a dollar an episode. Yeah, really, awesome. really couldn't go wrong for for that. Um, but but yeah, yeah, Worf being like not there as much, it definitely yeah, you picked up. After Yar left, that gave him something more to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then over time, he did get some more. I think it was around season three where he became the one-line guy. Yeah. That was his thing. He sort of threw in the one-liners. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of funny when you think about it because that's what, that, that's what he did. That is what he did, um, yeah. You know, like uh, he, there was a whole bunch of them. Like, it just feel like the... Good tea, nice house. You know, <laughs> stuff like that. It was just funny coming from him. By the end of the series, at times it felt like they didn't quite know what to do with him, though. Like the whole romance with Troy seemed... Yeah, really that was really rushed, unfortunately. And, like, Especially it, when they knew it, it, it was felt ending. out of place. Yeah, it was a really stupid move. And then it totally dropped off because uh, we had generations. There's and no they were just not together anymore. Yeah. There was no real explanation for no, it. No, and then they threw him into DS9 where he found his true love anyway. Yeah, which was interesting. They were a much, much more flushed out uh, relationship and made it really mm-hmm. interesting. And again, Jadzia was a fantastic character. And again, DS9, I mean, it, again, as much as it had a lot of interesting plot developments that came out of it, at the beginning, it wasn't about exploration. It wasn't going to be having these new elements all the time. It was going to have... Well, the idea was that the, like, the, was no the adventure would come to them. Yeah, right? which is very different for Star Trek. Well, the, they had to do it because yeah, you had an but... generation on... You had two and having series. two years overlap. Yeah, like, you, you can't really have two starship shows. No, you can't. But the other thing is, then they went like once the next generation ended. It's hard to believe that it was ninety four, and then ninety five Voyager started. Yeah, it was the next year, wasn't it? Yeah, and the whole reason was that for that was because of UPN. UPN was created. That's right. And UPN wanted a Star Trek show. And UPN seems a really long time. Yeah, ago. It, UPN crazy. and the WB and all this shit yeah. doesn't really exist anymore. And I think that was a that was a mistake to to bring next Rush year, the show to in. bring Voyager in when they did. I think they should have given it a le- little bit of time. No, to be, you know because it was just too close together. Again, from a from a current perspective, Voyager would have looked great as like a ten part miniseries, something with a finite ending. Yeah, maybe it, not ten parts, but like if they had a finite like this is going to be a certain length, you could get more drama out of it. And who's going to live to the end? Again, like it could, it could just have more stakes. The the stakes weren't high enough. Yeah, it's interesting. Like for uh, like Ron Moore, I think they lost like one character. Wasn't it just Cass? Yeah, out of the main cast. Yeah, out of the main cast, they lost one, and then obviously they gained uh, Seven of Nine, which I think was a ratings helper. But I always, I always felt like every show Jerry Ryan joined, 
it became the Jerry Ryan show or too much focus on her and less on the, the existing cast. I remember she joined the Boston public and it felt like the Boston public lost its identity and became more and more about her character who was the least interesting character. And I was just, I just felt like she had this curse about her. She ruined well, shows. To be fair, I think um, seven of nine was an interesting character and they did do, they did focus on her a lot and it did a sort lot. of feel like the, the Janeway seven of nine show, which was yeah. unfortunate because like, for example, Harry Kim, his character really didn't get the same kind of like development, and it's yeah. it's unfortunate because he he could have been interesting, right? Like oh, going back, more interesting. Going yeah. back to uh, Voyager, I, the idea of the the triumvirate who would who would be the top three in, in Voyager? Obviously, you'd have Janeway and Chakotay, but at the beginning, who would be taken up the third spot? Because well, later yeah, on, yeah, probably seven of them. Her, her and Tuvok were close, right? Yeah. That was uh, her. So it's a, uh, but yeah, again, it, it's a different dynamic. It's not the same. And then by the end of the show, I felt they brought that dynamic back in Enterprise. Yes. And that was a conscious decision to do that. And it was between Trip uh, to Paul and, and yes, Archer. For sure. But in the other series, there was never that same sort of trifecta. No. And it's interesting, too, to see the, the development in Voyager. I mean, a Voyager, I think, is interesting because you have a character like the Doctor who's kind of throwaway at the beginning. Like, he. Well, I think the whole thing was is like he sort of had a very data like arc. He as was well. data. Well, yeah. And Trying to become human and, and, or, and learn to become more more involved and, 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 and more of a, a like an adaptive intelligence. Yeah, and I mean, I guess Odo was sort of the data character in, in Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Um, but... I was watching Little Mermaid and it's so weird that uh, the chef there is, uh, is Odo. Yeah, it's uh, Rene... Uh, Rene Noir or however you pronounce it. The fact that he can sing uh, Les Poissons, Les Poissons and yet is Odo who has such a deep voice and like almost like a, a grumpy sounding character. Well, that was a conscious decision too because oh, he, yeah. he apparently has done a bunch of uh, voice work, right? So he's quite an interesting guy. Yeah, uh, Odo was a fascinating character. Um, but yeah, they they didn't have the same sort of trifecta thing going on with the other series. But it's a uh, but I, I guess Deep Space Nine was like again very well developed characters, uh, great like story and plot, and doing something different. I mean, I'm sure Roddenberry would have object, would have objected hugely like to mm. the uh, the war, but I think it gave a whole new aspect of the whole universe and like it was just a very interesting thing to do whereas uh, Voyager felt very much like uh, it was just it was, it was a formula at that point you know mm -hmm. it was like what can we bang out a lot of the episodes felt repeated like of ne they were just like new takes on next generation episodes and yeah, stuff yeah. I have a question for you um, what year was uh, the sixth movie Wrath of, sorry um, Undiscovered Country come out was it, it came 90, out in 91 91 okay so, that was the last TOS movie, basically. Yeah, the last full TOS. So, the next one after that is 18 years later, right? This 2009 where they revamp the franchise, but they do the, those characters. Okay, yeah. My question is, do you think there'll come a time where they kind of do a, a relaunch of the, of the TNG? Is it iconic? Enough? I mean, I know, like, on the Blu-rays and stuff, they've joked about it, right? Yeah. Will Wheaton should play... Uh... Should play uh, Jonathan Frakes, right? Oh, really? Will, Will, William Riker. I yeah. didn't know that. That's funny. But do you think there will ever come that time where they would actually re like redo those characters, or is there something about the TOS characters that they that, like that's what they want to keep doing? Like, do you think we'll like eventually when this current run of you know uh, of of Kirk and, and and company ends when this current iteration ends? Do you think eventually they'll do that those characters again or? when they do a new Star Trek kind of relaunch in the movies or do you think we'll get the TNG style of those characters Picard and stuff do you think they'll ever be in a movie probably not by the original cast but do you think we'll ever see a new cast taking on those characters 
Oh, I mean, if, if, if there's money, enough? if there's money in it, they'll do it, right? Yeah. Do you think it's iconic enough to to deserve it? I, I think Next Generation was definitely it's a, as big as the original. Hmm. I mean, I don't know about this, the same sort of iconic status, but it's got to be. It's pretty close. I mean, you, you ask most people, like if you say Cisco, hmm. the average person may not know who Cisco is. No, probably right. Not. But you say Picard, pretty much everybody knows who Picard. Was. Yeah, I feel that that's like even on like Big Bang Theory is kind of for a lot of people kind of the gateway to the nerd kingdom yep. because it's, it's very mainstream like it's not a real geek show but it pretends to be absolutely um, yeah I mean the references are geek enough but, but the references but at times even those are kind of basic they're more like window dressing to, to the comedy to and, appeal and to they're kind of making fun of our, our style I, I, I used to love Big Bang Theory I still enjoy it but uh, Nate is so, well Nate's harsh on everything Nate seems to hate most things like even the things he kind of likes, he hates them anyway. Yeah. And his thing about it was that the more he watched Big Bang Theory, he, the more he realized that it really was just mocking our culture and not necessarily living in our culture. Like it was pretending to be about us, but really was making fun of us. Yeah, I guess in some ways you could look at it that way. It was more too. broader comedy as opposed to kind of being more in the know. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but you're right. The most people kind of know who Picard is. But I guess when, when TNG came out, it wasn't on a major network. It was syndicated. Well, that was a big thing, right? It was uh, uh, There's that like um, interview with Patrick Stewart, and Patrick Stewart was talking about how when he was uh, getting the job, he was nervous about signing a contract for so many years, right? Because he didn't want to work on a long-run TV series. Yeah. And everybody told him, dude, it's a remake of an original it's um, so it's a sequel to like an old old show, a very old show. It's, it's going to be syndicated. Like basically, it had everything going against it to be true to be successful. Plus, was sci-fi, which wasn't really big at the time. Yeah, there wasn't like a big market for that. No, I guess it's true. At that like, time, what was there? Like, there might not. There probably wasn't a lot of sci-fi on. Like, look at what was on television in like the eighties. You had plus sci-fi is naturally expensive to make because of the yes. sets, and so you had all this other stuff that was working against it as well. Again, in the eighties, you had. You know, you had your hour-long procedurals that were still big. You had it was the era of the sitcom. Yeah, sitcoms ruled. So the idea of having an hour-long sci-fi show would not have been really that attractive for a network to even bother. So yeah, and it was an interesting decision to make it syndicated. But I think that was a big push of that was for Gene, right? Mm-hmm. So he wouldn't have to deal with a network because he had bad experiences, obviously. Well, he, well, yeah, from the third season, right? Was, and they only had three three seasons of the original. Yeah, and one of the reasons was is he told them that, like. They wanted to cut the budget for season three, and he said, "Well, if you're going to cut the budget, and there was a few other things, he said, I'm not going to do it." And that's oh, right. basically what he did. He stuck to his guns, and that's mm. why a lot of people, you know, feel that the third season was the weakest, and it was in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, well, it's yeah. hard when you don't have the network support. It's interesting too. Like the original Batman didn't go on that long either. Like these things that are very iconic that feel, felt like they went on longer than they did. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's I always think it's interesting that a lot of these shows in the 50s and 60s, they the reason why they're so big in pop culture now or that we know about them at all is because uh, there was just a longer lifespan that, because reruns were a thing. Like nowadays, reruns don't live the same way. Like, yeah, I'm, but like, I think I more... Up, I grew up on Batman, like the, that Batman Adam West show because it was constantly on. That's true, yeah. You know, and we could see the original Star Trek, and like these things were always on. Well, and, yeah, it's gonna be. I guess it's gonna be kind of interesting, though. I think like I watched I Love Lucy growing up. Like when I was homesick from school, I could watch I Love Lucy every day at like eleven o'clock. So what and, you're saying is, like, will uh, your son, like Zach, will he be watching probably what like, we Game of now. Thrones? Like, no, yeah, like that's true. Will it be more because you what, can't what's get the stuff? That? It's more. Well, you, but that, 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 it's kind of interesting that you say you can't get it 
but you can. So you can buy the stuff, but it's, it's not, accessible. It's, it's not, actually more accessible today. Yes, it's actually but it's more not accessible. on television as much. No. So the idea that you could be flipping around and see this thing is unlikely. Like again, I grew up on I Love Lucy and like Leave It to Beaver. These are those are shows from the fifties. Yeah, like, no, that's true. Those are super old, and I and I was watching them in like what the mid to late eighties, early nineties. So those shows at that point were nearing the forty year mark. Yeah, you, like can you like I can't even imagine it, like that happening now. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing to, especially with all these niche like different you know, digital channels, and you can get where they kind of farm out all that stuff. So instead of having a few of the major networks that actually have all these reruns, you have to kind of know where, you, where to go to find the reruns of the old material. That's true. Like, yeah. I, can, I can watch old Star Trek Next Generation episodes. I have to know the look on, like, in Canada on the Space Network. But, yeah, no, that's true. Well, yeah. I'm never going to see it just on a regular channel. But again, the whole idea of a regular channel is fast becoming something of the past, too. Yeah. Because you have access to, like, you know, 500, like, like my parents, suddenly in the new world, they suddenly have hundreds of channels where up till now they had like 70 channels, which to me seemed weird. Yeah, no, it's so. true. It's, it's a different dynamic. Um, and I, yeah, I, what is it about the 60s that it, I guess television was new and you know, all these ideas were still sort of new, I mm-hmm. guess. So it's a, and a lot of that stuff has become iconic because of that. Yeah. It's, it's tough to say. It's the same kind of thing that like a lot of like old Disney films, the whole idea of having these animated films would come back to theaters doesn't happen as much as yeah much you don't anymore. get re-release as much yeah now we're seeing it more as a again that was cat. home video kind of killed that home video killed it but also gave a new life to keeping these things well, again going. yeah that's the weird thing right it's it's you know and the whole change. idea of the vault is really just taking what used to be like it's uh we're going to bring this back into theaters now it's we're going to bring this into the new format every 10 years yeah yeah, yeah um and that which is an interesting concept um another thing too is the whole idea of uh, movies like Wizard of Oz that and like that used to was a big not a big hit but a pretty big hit when it came out originally the idea that you'd have these certain networks would air it every year at a certain time so that's where people uh, the only thing that things. that sort of keeps up with is like holidays like a Christmas certain time. holidays like like Santa Music everyone thinks of it as being kind of something you watch the holidays because a lot of channels used to show it at Christmas time yeah which is weird because it has nothing to do with Christmas. That's just a thing, I guess. But yeah, like, I mean, the Charlie Brown specials and all that stuff. Yeah. That's good. It lives on, like, a lot of that stuff. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, like... uh, But newer stuff doesn't have that longevity. True. Because there isn't that feeling of So I guess Netflix opens it up to a lot of, like, viewers as well, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, I know, like, on American Netflix, they have all the Star Trek series. Yeah. But again, you have to kind of... You're you're looking for it more. It's true. What's that? Um, There's less than... If you want to... What's that? What I find interesting, like, let's take it up to the, the new Star Treks. Sure. Um, you know, like I know I've he- I've heard and spoken to people like that I've said because of the new Star Treks, mm-hmm. I've gone back and watched some of the old stuff, which oh, I think sure. is great to hear. I would say uh, as an as an old fan, uh, you know, and I personally uh, not that big a fan of the new stuff. Like mm-hmm. I, I find I find the newer two the new two movies a lot less. Uh, like I, f- I feel they're sort of soulless. Like a little bit. They're more about the action and adventure. They're kind of hollow. They're not as much Star, Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They've definitely got a Star Wars-y feel. On that. Not, not the bad Star Wars at all. But no, but Star Wars is more about fantasy. Like, that's where I... Star Trek was more like the plausible existence. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you could actually see people living like that in the future. Like, yeah. It's more plausible. It was, a, it was a little bit more well thought out. Like, there was science behind it. Yeah, like, and it was more science fiction in the sense that, like, yeah, there's plausible science in yeah. there. there I, mean, I mean, obviously, there's hokey shit in there too. Oh, yeah. But well, and also I mean, just the way it's presented is more realistic. As eventually, well. Star Wars tried to kind of backpedal some of its stuff to add ideas of science, like the whole Metaclorians idea to try and debunk the, the idea of the Force, like which is 
silly. But in the original, it was just fantasy. It was a fantasy element. You took it for what it was. There's this feeling. Certain people can access it. You didn't need to know that there was a yeah, it was, it. Yeah, absolutely. That was kind of a stupid kinda, thing, yeah. You just kind of get it. Because they give you enough. Like, some people can feel this force, this energy in the world. Yeah, you just accepted it for what it was. Yeah. And, that, and, and that, the whole thing was, too, was, that was cool about that concept was... As if you train and you, what's it? And you, if you believe, senses, it's kind of an idea of faith. Like if there you, was definitely enough a faith element. And in some it, yeah. of, and some people would be more in tune with this cosmic force. But the whole like, thing was that anybody could be a Jedi. Yeah. If you trained to, to do so, right? And it wasn't this quirk. But then when you add the metachlorians, it became just you know you have to have a lot of metachlorians, otherwise you can't access. Yeah, the which force. makes it more of like a genetic anomaly. Yeah, which is kind what, of shit. Which is kind of saying like oh. I can't be, you know, Olympic runner well, unless George Lucas sometimes unless, fucks up things. Unless I have certain genes, I can't be an Olympic runner. Well, duh. So, but again, that also uh, like with Star Trek, which was kind of cool, is like you know, it also uh, like to better yourself, right? Like mm-hmm. Starfleet was always about you know being the, as the, the best you could be, kind of thing yeah. in a way, right? Yeah, I guess it's sort of military. It's kind of jingoistic when you, yeah, when you think about it. Very like. But I mean, Star Trek is again that has always uh, like Starfleet is sort of par- it's paramilitary. Mm-hmm. Again, there's that whole debate about like you know are they the military? Like, though I mean, obviously, like we've like we've seen uh, like sort of other like organizations that they they address that more in Enterprise, Enterprise with for the sure. makers and stuff. Yeah, well, and even a little bit in DS Nine because that that was the first idea of having like. Kind of, um, yeah, they didn't really make clear distinctions though between all the units, right? Because they had ground troops, true stuff like but that. Didn't but didn't even have like the the what, sector seven. Oh well, section thirty-seven. Oh, section 37. Or, sorry, section thirty-one. Thirty-one. Yeah. This idea of having like this elite force within. Well, that was a big thing that uh, like a big controversy among fans, right? Was the concept of section thirty-one about like a secret organization within the Federation. Doing the dirty work behind the scenes, sort of. Thing. I thought that makes sense. I thought it was a very I mean, interesting concept. The U.S. government has the FBI and the CIA, and the CIA does the dirty stuff. Well, every and, and all the other uh, races in Star Trek all have their own kind intelligence black, organizations, have right? Black like ops the of some kind. Cardassians had the uh, what's it? Um, oh, I can't remember the name. It's of them now. naive it's, to believe that they don't that the, the Federation like, like the Romans were the Tel Shiar. What's it? Yeah, of course they're going to have Obsidian some, Order was the Cardassians. They're, of course, they're going to have some kind of black ops. Yeah, I thought it was fascinating. And then, like, Intelligence all the 30... gathering, if nothing else. Yeah, all the Section 31 episodes were really cool. Like, they had really interesting stuff. I always liked the idea of the Time Police, too. Yeah, the temporal uh, what's it, uh, investigations. Yeah, I always liked that. That was kind of a cool idea. Which I think I fucked up last time. I couldn't remember the name of it. Temporal oh, really? Investigations. Yeah. Well, that, again, that and kind of You know, stuff. the two agents, with, uh, their names are like uh, anagrams of uh, Mulder and Skelly. Really? Yeah. Well, that's kind of cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That was a cool little thing. Though, I think one of the guys doesn't quite work out. They changed a couple of letters or something. But that really? was the idea that they're mon- uh, anagrams of Mulder and Scully. But um, yeah, talking about the new movies, like, what's it? Um, I it's do interesting like, to I do see like that people are going back to watch the old stuff as well. I do like the new movies. I know that you're not a big fan. Um, I like elements of them. I, I mean, I like that there is something called Star Trek that's out there. Yeah, I would see that that, that kind of bugs me. I know because it kind of it's it's called the it's, name. It, but it's if not you, if really... you ask me, like the last one especially, it's just a watered down like Star Trek, like big time. Yeah. It's an action movie that takes the names and some of the essence of the characters, but really, it's it's forgettable. It's a forgettable action movie. Do you think? Um, I think part of it is also again we, we do live in a post nine eleven world, and the Star Trek movies that we've gotten feel very much like that. Especially the most recent one, like it feels very kind of topical with the idea of terrorism, you know, like yeah, it's but, more about it reflecting current themes as opposed to 
the the ideals that Roddenberry kind of aspired to. Okay, well, let's take a step back then. Let's let's discuss Enterprise a little because sure. Enterprise well, aired very, yeah. in two thousand one, right? And it aired right after September eleventh. Now, what it would have been. When did it air that year? It would have been September? September. It was, I believe, late September or okay. early so, October. So its first... It literally aired right after. So its first six or seven episodes would have been created before 9-11 actually occurred. Yeah, and what's really interesting is even the there was the Suleban yeah. and the Temporal Cold War. Mm-hmm. Um, and the uh, the Suleban are very much based on the Taliban. Mm-hmm. Right? It's well, a, even the name kind of... Yeah, absolutely. That's where it comes from. And um, There's some kooky stuff that happened right around like I remember we've talked before not in the podcast but the X-Files episode that was kind of pressing uh, The Lone Gunman yeah oh sorry Lone Gunman that aired in March of 2001 which was about which pretty much what summed up some like some of the 9-11 conspiracy theories. which is really creepy yeah but I remember you because you, you were like you gotta watch this because it's kind of creepy to watch this now it is pretty nuts watching it now um, but yeah so the thing with the Enterprise though it's first two seasons again were episodic and uh, very much you know in the style of Next Generation, Voyager, TOS, very done in ones. Yeah, but but at least it had the, the idea, the framework that something bigger was going on. Somewhere. Well, that was with the temporal Cold War a little bit, and again, it's kind of interesting because when you, again with these Blu-rays coming out, like mm-hmm. Bragg, uh, Bernard Bragg is talking a lot about like. But you've said he's very candid. I, I find him, yeah, I find it fascinating. Like he'll take cre- credit where credit's due, and he'll also blame himself. Is and, it giving you more respect for him as a as a creator? Oh, like, absolutely. Like I mean, I I never really knew much about him, like uh, as much about him before. Like I just feel like with these interviews, it exposes him a, a more. Like you know, he's like, like you know out there now more, a little bit more. And he's been able to kind of accept this didn't work. Well, yeah, I would say. Well, Which is I always find fa- like refreshing when you have a creator who's able to say, "Yeah, we fucked that up." Or this didn't well, he'll, he'll well. say where they've messed up, but at the same time, when you hear about it too, because it's interesting how because both Voyager and Enterprise were on networks, yeah, and they were saying how like by the time Enterprise came around, UPN was to, like a much different network. Like they mm-hmm. were becoming, I guess, uh, what's it, um, the CW, right? Oh, that would have been years later, but yeah, like there was already that transition was happening. Really, that early? Yeah, it's a because they were. I they, think that happened to like two thousand six or seven. Well, apparently, like there was a lot of turnover in executives and stuff, and they were yeah. already going in that direction. Okay. Like, for example, there was one story that. Like, well, what did UPN even have at that point? Wasn't it just like wrestling and Star Trek? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, they had like that was like, pretty much it. Voyager. I mean, we... well, apparently, they even wanted to start Enterprise before Voyager finished. Oh, really? And it was Rick Berman that was like, "Listen, let, let us just finish Voyager, and then we'll go on to." So there's a bit of like you know, f- like the famous words of franchise fatigue. Mm. That definitely probably played into it a bit, but also when you hear about like uh, what they wanted to do with the first season of Enterprise, yeah. which would have been really cool, was it was going to be like more of a land based show. Well, they've always talked about doing something like that, right? I mean, well, I think it would have been cool because it would have been different. Mm. But the network stepped in and said, "What? You don't have a starship? You're not going into space? That's not Star Trek. It's too different." But it would have—I I would have loved that. Like, I, I enjoyed Enterprise much more than I enjoyed Voyager. See, that type of thing, I think, again, would work more now. I mean, so it would I think absolutely. A lot of the constraints of these shows were that they happened to be in the wrong time period. Like, they were just—they were released in a very different age where you didn't have the same kind of autonomy. You weren't able to do the same. Like, yeah. like watching what TV shows can do now. And how, especially on the smaller networks, on the cable networks, where they can kind of run their own show. Oh, absolutely. And dictate what they want to do and how they want to run it. I mean, that just didn't exist. No, it's true. And you like, I mean, you hear about stuff about HBO and like, um, I know there's a, one of the guys from The Wire, the writer of The Wire, he was saying how like when you go to meetings for HBO, it was always mm-hmm. about what's the story. 
Yeah. Right? It wasn't like, oh, well, here's the ratings and all this crap. It was about what's the story. That is something that's really more with the major networks. The major network, although, again, they're even moving away from that with some shows. Well, they have to because they're realizing that they're this isn't working anymore, right? I mean, one of my favorite shows I watched last year was uh, the Hannibal show with, uh, what's his name, Mads Mikkelsen? Okay. I think. The guy from Casino Royale, the yeah. chef. He was as Hannibal. And uh, that was by NBC. It's a major network. But it was probably one of the most disturbing shows I've ever watched. The gore level and the the, the well, that, sadistic level of the content is not something you'd ever see on a standard network show before. And it was only, I think, nine or ten episodes, and that's all it was ever meant to be. They wanted a short season. They got renewed for a second season. It's going to be the same kind of style. That's a cable-centric style, a way to run the show. They didn't want it to be a long series. They didn't right. want to have to pad out episodes. They said, this is what we want to do. They pitched it that way. They let them, let them be dark and, and gruesome. And again, it, it was almost disturbing to see that on network television, but it showed that the networks are starting to take chances. And they're starting well, to... Well, yeah. Because they have to. They have there's to that transition with Enterprise as well, because the first two seasons are episodic. Then you had the third season where it very much was um, about 9-11 mm. with the Zindi attack. Yep. Right, and it That's did right. get darker. Mm-hmm. The show did get darker, and again, like you were talking about, how post nine eleven, well, it was very much that one of those early transitions where you saw it more in, in there's, the TV. It's interesting because there's there's er, there's early post nine eleven and there's yeah. kind of later post nine eleven. Absolutely, because those are very different things. Because in they the, weren't quite sure if like how to deal with this stuff at, no. at the time. And now we have a little bit of dis- it's hard to believe it's but like this will well, be thirteen years yeah, now. Yeah, it's hard to believe it's been that long. Um, but now well, it was very big. Like a, it's a very big efe- event that did change the world in a it, very big it way. It did, yes. And now we're in a world where I mean, there's a lot of war fatigue and the idea, like these wars that are being fought, that, that people are kind of turning against it because these things that were started with this kind of weird, not noble intentions, but the, the, this noble rhetoric that we're going in, we're going to stop this stuff because you know, don't mess with us. And now everyone's kind of like, why are you still there? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, war fatigue, and and then and then they, they do discuss some of like that stuff in in Enterprise, right? Mm-hmm. With the, like you know the, you know what's the what's the fine line that you balance, right? With, with um, that was a long season, the third season. I really like the third season, and I think a lot of people agree that that's where the show really got its wings. Was it became something season. different for sure? Like it, it finally distinguished itself. itself from the other shows because the first two seasons do very much feel like you could plug it if you change the characters around, use the yeah. same. Episodes, they're very much like very similar. Though there are like, don't get me wrong, there are some really good episodes. Oh in there. yeah, like Shuttlepod One was a fantastic character episode. But on the and whole, it was just two guys in a shuttlepod. Yeah, it but was a model the... show. They needed to save some money, <laughs> and uh, it worked out fantastic. And I mean, I thought those characters were more interesting than the Voyager characters too. In a lot of ways, I thought those oh, characters yeah. grew. And they you were, need you need they that had progression. More, they there. did have more flaws to them. Uh, they well, did... again, that was bringing it back before Kirk. That was yes. an intentional thing to do, right? And I think one of the things was they mentioned that the, the network wanted the next show. And then they were all thinking, well, what are we going to do? Like, do we keep it in the 24th century? It's going to kind of get stale. That was a controversial decision to go backwards. It was. I mean, it was the time of everything was a prequel. Which, yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, really, are we doing a prequel? It's, but It's interesting. And I think that's why it kind of struggled, too, is because it was harder to show things that were new. Because it, it, the whole idea of it being exploration, but it's before the other exploration, which means, like... You can't really do that many new concepts. Well, I think its biggest problem in the first season was that it it was before like Kirk and Spock, but they didn't want to like link it as much as they did to the original series. And that's what Whereas in really the fourth season, where they started the making the connections, it really made it interesting and, and, and more fun. 
Oh, a lot more fun. Like the mirror episodes are fantastic. Yeah, those are two of, like the top episodes of the whole show. And I, I mean, it's interesting. It's in some ways that's sad because they're not normal. Like it's not what the characters were normally no, like. No, but I mean, sometimes those one-off shows are, are some of the best, right? But again, part of that you you do. I like, mean, if you look at, um, for example, uh, Inner Light. No, oh, yeah. It's very much a. It's, a, it's heralded as one of the best, and it is one of the best, and it's very different from the rest of the series. That's very true. So it, it happens a lot. But again, it's a, like the the show being on a network and what they wanted to do, like it would have been much neater to see how do they assemble the crew. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I heard that there was an idea of maybe having you don't know who the captain is, That'd and like cool. Starfleet like selecting one of these potential actors, Interesting. right, to be the captain, and like, you know, I do like stuff like that. I think that would have been kind of neat. You don't know who you're, who the captain's going to be, and like you know, stuff like that would have been cool to see. I mean, they did bring it back. There was the first light episode i don't know if you saw that one i don't remember it was one where archer was um he was part of the nx program okay and he and the other guy were going up for to be the first uh, pilot i think it was the warp three ship i think it was okay so it's a uh, it was a sort of a competition between the two of them hmm. but it shows him in like a mission control sort of uh, uh, okay aspect and like it was the early you know nx program interesting right? leading up to the warp five engine and yeah. stuff and it was kind of cool would have been neat to have seen more of that and again, it was the network that stepped in and said, no, you can't do that. We need a starship. Yeah. That's why they launched the ship in the first episode, which is kind of, you know, it, it kind of felt fast forwarded a bit. A little bit. Like, yeah. let's get into this already, which is kind of too bad because it would have been cool to see that build up, mm-hmm. launch the ship at like the end of the season, maybe, yeah. or even a little bit before the end of the season and have that sort of build up, which I thought okay. would have been cool. Um, let's uh, switch gears a little. Uh, I want to talk about the actual cast. Okay. We talked about the shows in general, obviously. Uh, so TOS, I mean, it's iconic, and you have the roles. I mean, the people were kind of born to play in a lot of ways. Uh, well, I mean, they're yeah. It's 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 hard to not picture those people hard, yeah, as those characters. It's very difficult. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, who's kind of your favorite cat? Like the actual acting performance on TOS. On TOS. Yeah. Like, who do you think kind of? Uh, I don't know. Like watching it now or watching it as a kid. Like who are you kind of gravitating? Okay. Well, towards? how about like, my favorite character is McCoy. Okay. I don't know, maybe, like, what's that? it's not necessarily that he was the best actor. Okay. I mean, he was sort of over, yeah, the, over the top a little bit, right? Yeah, let's talk about his characters and casting, I guess. But I, I would say that probably Leonard Nimoy had the biggest challenge yes. in a lot of ways. And I think, he obviously, he, he did a lot with the character. You know, he mm-hmm. did a lot with the material. He created the Vulcan culture and all yeah. that. It's a, uh, so, if anything, he probably did the most with mm-hmm. what he had. And I thought, you know, he's a, he, he did a really great job. When I look back at the oh, sorry, two, so iconic. The TOS, the series, and the, the movie, the six movies, I find it hard to... I, I find Scotty so different just because I feel like he plays him bigger than life in the movies than he ever did in the TV show. Uh, I think it's pretty consistent. I mean, in the show, he was very... Like, he's still the same guy, but I just felt like his performance was more... In, like, I think he was more, maybe having more fun, especially as the later movies. Like, I just... There was a twinkle in his eye that I don't think was there when he was younger. And like I, I almost feel like it's in some ways feels like, um, like a different character, or at least a different acting performance, very different, as opposed to a lot of the other characters. They just feel like a little bit more mature, but not that different in in style and element. I just think there's something about Scotty. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, he was sort of the one line character in, uh, he was in I mean, the original well, series. He, he still was in the movies. Like, yeah, it's true. I would say. Uh, I just thought there's. I think I. I, don't I guess know. there was some good episodes with Scotty where he took command of the Enterprise and. He was a little bit more serious. I guess maybe I just like the chubby Scotty. 
Nah, that's good. I mean, I, I like James Doohan again. Yeah. The, like, the character's iconic. And again, it's interesting in the new movies, though, it is a very different Scotty. Like, Simon's Peg Scotty is very different. Very different physicality. I think that's a big thing, too. Like, he just uh, feels just the way he, he's more arrogant, more, like, he's a very different character. A little bit more cerebral in some ways. Again, I don't get the physical sense. Because as an engineer, I feel like you need to be... I don't know why. I just I feel like as an engineer, there's something about Doohan's character that felt more like he's going to get up and fix things. Like, he felt like a fixer with his hands. Okay, yeah. I don't know why. And Peg doesn't really... You, you put uh, LeVar Burton in there, too? Like, Yeah, he felt physical. That's kind of interesting, because... Like, like it's an engin- as an engineering job. Like there, I mean, obviously, it's feature tech, and who knows how much engineering they're really... Like, a, from a physical sense, but Jordy... Oh, I mean, they did show them fixing things from time to time. Yeah, and Jordy, again, I, I, I believe the physical aspect. I believe that he was kind of like the mechanic. And then, yeah, I guess you go from Jordy to... Uh, Bolano? I guess, well, O'Brien would have been really... Like, he was really oh, hands-on and, on these Oh, very stuff. hands-on. So, yeah, again, like, I, I believe that physicality for that version of the I character. mean, he always had his sleeves rolled up. Like, yeah, and, pretty like... Pretty much all the time. He felt physical, and I guess Bolano was... Chief Engineer. Yeah, she became chief. Again, she had that kind of the, the half Klingon thing, so you believed, and you always saw her getting into things. Yeah, and I guess what's a, there's a lot of episodes was... where she was dirty. Like, just, I mean, like, <laughs> she had oil on her face and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, you know, she was working on, like, she was a mechanic. She was a, exactly, maybe not physical, but the idea of being a mechanic. So Peg doesn't really, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. That. I mean, I guess there's not a lot of time to explore that in there. No, but it doesn't, I, I don't even believe him to be, like, I don't know, something about him, the way he he kind of uh, handles himself physically, I don't I don't see him being a mechanic. I might be totally unfair, but... No, that's interesting, that's a... And who was the engineer on uh, Enterprise, I can't remember? Uh, Trip. Trip. Again, very much, would say, physical, hands-on, like, there are, you know, he always sort of had that aspect yeah. of him as well. I guess that's kind of true. But I think that's partially is... I, again, I think Star Trek works a lot better on the small screen. Mm. Um, and I think that's why, because you can do things with these characters, flush them out more. Uh, they don't just get their, you know, like, moment on the screen sort of thing. Yeah. Well, and plus, even, like, in the movies work because they were an extension of the TV show. Yeah, and it was a much different... Like, you, you knew these characters already. Like, we were seeing new adventures with them in a tighter time period. And, yeah, a little bit more time for that specific story. But I already knew these characters, and they were just... Yeah, it was going on. And also, I mean, back then, when you think about it, it was a much bigger scale. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, you can do a lot more on TV. Oh, and, yeah. And make it feel like it's a big scale still. Mm-hmm. And sort of film and television, um, you know, it's sort of one and the same in some ways. Obviously, like, you know, there is budget constraints. TV used to be kind of like, the, you know, the bastard... Not the bastard stepchild, but it was, it was the smaller brother, the younger brother. You know, yeah, it wasn't. It didn't have the. You flash. couldn't do the same sort of thing. No, and now you have. It's interesting too because now you have movie stars doing TV shows. You have right. Kevin Spacey doing a Netflix original TV series. Like, yeah, I mean, the whole idea of anything like that ten years ago was. Yeah, like, it, you you went from TV to graduate into film. Yeah, uh, that was the hope, right? Yeah, I yeah. mean, like, isn't that why uh, Tasha Yar left? Like, didn't she want to be a movie star? Yeah, that was one of the reasons that she like wanted to. She didn't want to. Well, one of the reasons was she felt her character was being underused, which probably is true. Yeah, oh, well, I, say, I mean, it was. She was barely gave it time, though. It was like, the first season. You can't really make that judgment. I yeah, mean, I guess you know who knows what all the reasons were, but yeah, that, like part of it was to also, I guess, f- she figured that she was famous enough now yeah. that she could. She can could you go imagine, on from there. like, in television history in general, like how many shows would be so different if someone who had a small part early on had just said, "You know what, I'm leaving." Yeah, no, that's true. Not big enough. Like, I mean, one of my favorite television shows of all time is Cheers. 
Well, um, one of the most iconic characters is Cliff Clavin, the male character. He wasn't a main character in the first season. He was a he was a recurring character. He wasn't right. in every episode. He wasn't like he was actually an afterthought. They were never going to have him in the original script. But the guy was like, have you, "Do you have a know it all character?" And they're like, "Well, no." He's like, "Well, I, I could do that." What's his name again? The uh, the, the actor? No, no the oh, character. Cliff Clavin. Cliff, and then the other guy is uh, Norm. Norm, right? Yeah. Which uh, Morn Morn is based on is, is just Norm backwards. Yeah. And then based on him, which is kind of cool. Which is so, and and even like you know characters like uh, Fraser was originally a bit character in the yeah, and then became third a season of, of, of Cheers. Then he became the main character, and then he became probably the most most successful spinoff of all time. And uh, the actor was a uh, Kelsey Grammer, also the Star Trek. Star Trek The Next Generation. Everyone does. That's the other thing that's really cool about Star Trek, if you could look back, is all the actors that have been in it. Oh, yeah. And, like, have gone on to do other things. Ashley Judd, Fonky yeah. Johnson. Like, there's a lot of There's a lot of... Like, what's, it? Um, what's her name? Uh, Mary Jane from Spider-Man 1. Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst was yeah. on there. It's pretty impressive. There's a laundry list of people. Start. It's kind of like... Uh, a lot, a lot of, of guest stars really want to be on Star Trek. Uh, a lot of people used to start, you know, start off in either uh, Star Trek shows or uh, soap operas. Yeah, <laughs> and well, uh, the other thing, Whoopi Goldberg. That's an interesting example because she, she really was wanted a to be huge fan of, of the series mm-hmm. and was a massive movie star at the time. Was she a massive movie star at that time? She's I, a big that, that was pretty. What's that? That was her like her I think time, like Sister Act. That was the early nineties. She was already in Star Trek by then. Yeah, but I think what's that? Like she, her movie career was going was starting to take Ghost. off. Yeah, Ghost. Said, um, like, Eddie. Like she was pretty big at the time, and to have yeah. her come on to Next yeah. Generation was a huge thing. Like it, that's it, true. That was also the era of the of the stand up comedian. But like at the, the same time, it's interesting that you're saying you know how like these actors are going from TV to film and mm-hmm. back and forth. That was one of the first ones. Sort that's of. true. That's a, bit, that's a big one. That's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that. Not only going to TV, but syndicated TV, yeah. which is not the same as network television. Not the same level. Well, theoretically, not the same level of exposure. Yeah, it's kind of neat. What I was going to also say is that with um, uh, with TV now, one of the things being that they can do all this stuff, sometimes it hurts story. A little bit. You know, because it's like, oh, look at this, look at that. Because you it's can do things, so you do. Whereas and even with then, film. Film, we see it now big time. It's yeah. like more of the visual than the story. And that sort of started with the, the Star Wars, like the newer Star Wars. I think so, yeah. Which I think is a real shame because it's, you know, you can't have... It, it's not, it doesn't last. You know what I mean? It's no. not time, like I think that's again one of the reasons that Star Trek, like especially the original series, Next Generation, is because there's such interesting concepts in there, and like the stories are so good, the characters are so good. They had to give you more to chew on because they didn't have the visual panache. They couldn't just of. rely on oh, look, no. I mean, if you look at the original series and you actually look at all the sets and stuff, I mean, it's kind of cheesy looking. Oh, right for now, sure, right? And that's because they didn't have a huge budget, but at the same time, they made it work. They yeah. they did what they had to do to even make the it original work. Star Wars films. They didn't yeah. necessarily have the best budget. Sometimes but... from limitation, you get really good work. Oh, for sure. Yeah, the, the sometimes the limitations is what breeds creativity. Well, and the other thing that's like, for example, I know uh, there's a thing Brago was talking about how uh, cause and effect, the episode of TNG. Okay. Uh, where the time loop. Yeah. And apparently, like a bunch of networks got calls. Really? About that the episode's repeating and it's fucked really? up. It's not working properly. It's hilarious. And it's just really interesting to think about it now because, you know, storytelling too has changed. Oh, yeah. Right? Because that was a very original idea back then mm-hmm. of like doing a show out of sequence and, you know, messing up the sequence. Yeah. Whereas now you see more of that, right? Oh, yeah. like, so I mean, people are used to it. But back then, people were like, no, what the right. hell? Like Lost very much like popularized the, the use of flashbacks in every episode. Like you yeah. have a concur like a, a present day storyline and then you have 
a flash forward or a flashback. I mean, and once upon a time kind of manipulates the same type of thing because it's by some of the people who were working on Lost. So it has a very big narrative structure that's based on flashbacks. You're right. We just take, kind of take that for granted now that we're used to these stylistic devices. Yeah, whereas, whereas the time, they were coming up with them, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And I mean, again, like it was neat to have, the, like there were a lot of really cool original ideas in there. Like, mm-hmm. and it holds up today. It's still, you know, I watch like, there's certain episodes where I watch and I'm just like, wow, that's so fucking awesome. Like, it's a mind blow, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's awesome. You're like... The, so, so TOS, you're, you're always gravitated towards Bones? Bones was my favorite character, but I think, uh, like, from an acting standpoint, I think Leonard Nimoy probably did the best work. Because it was the hardest to do. It was the hardest character to go, go yeah. with. Because you have to nail... Plus, he created the culture. Like, he, he did so much with that character. Mm-hmm. For sure. Now, going on to TNG, um, who would you say? Actually, I guess I should pick one for myself for TOS. Um, even though he was underutilized, probably Sulu. Sulu, yeah, I always like Sulu. Yeah, I would say that. I mean, I, I enjoy and, Sulu, and I really enjoy him in the movies because then I feel he does have more personality there. Like, I think more and more of um, oh, I'm not forget his name, Doctor. Why can't I think of Sulu? Oh, uh, George Takei. George Takei. I think a lot more of him starts to shine through as the movies get developed. Yeah, I guess so. It's good. I mean, in Star Trek Six, he had a pretty significant role being oh, captain sure. of Excelsior. And I, I like that he developed it to becoming a captain. Like, yeah, he was one of the only characters that actually moved on from the Enterprise, whereas all the other ones ended up gravitating back always. Yeah, it's kind of like they were kind of caught in its gravitation. Well, they were all like, it's kind of funny because in Star Trek Six, uh, what is it like? Three of them are captains. Yeah. Right, like uh, Kirk, Spock, and uh, Scotty, mm-hmm. and then the rest are all commanders. Yeah, because <laughs> they, they can't be promoted anymore. I no, guess. No, right? yeah. So it's kind of funny. So uh, then we'll go to next generation characters. Yeah. You want to go first? Sure. Um, I always love Riker. Riker, yeah. Riker's I just definitely think he, they they gave him a, a fair bit to do. I mean, and I guess he was just he was the roguish one, but not too rogue. You know, he was. He was like a, he was almost in some ways like a watered down Kirk, but I don't mean that in a bad way. No, absolutely. He had sort of the, some of those elements of Kirk the younger. And I think part of what they're because obviously they were trying to not just do Kirk again, so, which is why we had uh, Picard, who was like the opposite, like a more by the book guy. Yeah, he's a, he's a much more matured. Yeah. So individual. then, so in Riker, we have a version of kind of that the rougher edge that Kirk kind of had, but still adhering to authority, but not being afraid to speak out against it. At, yeah. at times and he kind of reminds me of uh, from the comic books like kind of the Hawkeye character because originally in the Avengers you had Captain America leading the team obviously the everyone listens to Captain America right. except for Hawkeye and Hawkeye would always be calling him out and basically battling him for leadership and kind of being like you're just a regular guy why can't I lead the team Right. and I think I got a little bit from that from Riker he was obviously not I was going to say I don't think he ever could like challenge Picard like for his command really, but I think but... there was always that kind of that cockiness that there's a little bit of arrogance there because he was. The... Well, yeah, that, that also comes into like why did Riker never like leave the ship? Yeah, because his whole thing was he wanted to become a captain, right? Yeah, so that is kind of fun. But then they kept him there because uh, well, got... because they wanted to keep Riker on Obviously, the show. Yeah, right? They but... had to come up with reasons because in the original series, three years, well, they didn't need to have a promotion. Yeah, but seven years seems a little long. I thought it was also interesting, like from the original series to the next generation, like. Uh, Spock was the second in command, right? But he was also mm-hmm. the science officer. Yeah. Whereas in Next Generation, Riker was very much like the EXO, of, yeah. a, of a re- like a real sort of. The, uh, there was much more delineated command structure, I think, in TNG. Like, I think that they figured it out more. Yeah, like they, it was more, uh, I guess, militaristic in, a, in some ways, more. right? Whereas, like Riker's specific duties were to like take care of the ship, right? Mm-hmm. Sh- uh, crew assignments, 
all the divisional stuff. Like, yeah. he would, you know, he'd meet with the different division heads and stuff. But the counselor gets a front row seat. Yeah, I mean, again, what's a, that was kind of interesting to put a, a counselor on the bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think, that, again, that was Roddenberry. Yeah. Because he very much came up with all the characters. Because wouldn't having the chief medical officer made more sense? I don't Or chief mean... science officer. Like, really? Well, yeah, I guess Data was sort of science officer, right? Yeah. You know, like, he was ops... But he wasn't, like, exclusively. No, it's true. Really like, the science division one. was sort of its own thing. Like they, yeah, We never really saw a science officer. In the not as much, no. It was kind of whereas, interesting how they, they took that out. Whereas with DS9, when you had Bashir, was more of a science officer as opposed to just being a physician. No, it would have been Jadzia. Jadzia oh, was yeah, a science sorry. officer. That's right, she was science. Because Bashir was the medical officer. It always felt like he did a lot more than just being a doctor, though. Well, he did, and then when they brought in the genetic aspect, which I thought was kind like, of interesting. Like, like um, Genetically modified. Yeah, doc, Dr. Crusher was never anything more than a doctor. Nothing against that, but like she never really expanded that much outwards. Yeah, again, yeah, I would say, uh, no, I, they did do some good episodes and some good character work with her, but uh, then there were some bad ones where like the, what's it, her whole family was in love with that lamb. Oh, God. On the Irish planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's it, uh, which, Sub Rosa. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which I believe Braga says, like, yeah, that we fucked up on that one. <laughs> Like, which is great that he actually admits it. So what about he, for you for TNG? For me for TNG, yeah, it, it's hard to say. I'm just trying to think, like... I gotta say a shout-out to, to Jordy. I've always had a soft spot. Yeah, LeVar Burton's awesome. He's uh, And he did play... Really and well. the buddy comedy with him and Data over time was great. Oh, yeah, th- that pairing, those two friends, uh, fantastic. Like, that's very much, I mean... To, it, it's a great friendship, like, some of the stuff that went on between Kind of reminds two. me of... Um, uh, Troy and I, Troy and I, Troy and I, yeah. I on community kind of remind me of that. Yeah, I guess maybe they were sort of. Uh, well, actually, they're very much like that in a lot of ways, right? Like yeah. Ovid being the sort of he, data he's, character. He's very data-ish. He's yeah. very like robotic at times. He's not quite. He's kind of learning to understand humanity through a certain prison. Yeah, no, it's kind of funny actually. Have, I wonder if there, that and was Troy conscious. Is, and Troy is extremely gifted at um, at plumbing and like and what and like repair. I wonder if that was a conscious decision. I I don't think it probably was, but. It's, but it is sort of it's interesting similar. to see that there yeah for me it's tough I think right growing like a, a young, when I was younger mm-hmm. Riker was very much the character I gravitated to I and he had he, a bitchin' beard yeah he was pretty that's awesome that's a good looking beard I, what was that season 2 right when he gets the beard yeah because um, it's he looks weird without that beard like watching for it is kind of weird watching it without because it just seems so right for him yeah and I mean then, then it was kind of cool in Insurrection where he, where he took Shared it off, it off. Yeah. Which was kind of funny. It was interesting because it gives him a totally different look. It does. It does give him a very much like. I, I think the beard gave him an authoritative look. Yeah, it gave him a bit of more of a. He's not just a young guy. Like, There's a gravitas sort there. Of, yeah, a little bit more seasoned, a little bit more veteran. Yeah. So apparently, students. that was uh, one of those things. That he just grew a beard. Really. In the off season, and then <laughs> they they liked it. Really. So they kept it, which is kind of interesting. Interesting. Um, so yeah, so him. But as I've gotten older, I really do like Picard. Picard, like, Picard yeah. is the is, Renaissance man. He's so awesome. Like. Fuck it, if, you know. It is interesting to, to watch his evolution because you can tell that uh, Patrick Stewart was not necessarily comfortable and feeling a little stiff. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. that comes off in his performance. Not necessarily in a bad way, but it, it's more interesting because you can see as the actor becomes more comfortable, the character becomes more comfortable. Absolutely. There's a very big transition for him. Like, he, and like, you know, he's, he's more stone cold, sort of. Uh, like he, he, you don't see them as much emotion with him in no. the first two seasons. And then going on, you see a lot more from him. It's and I, and I think again, this is Patrick Stewart being an amazing actor, right? Like for him, something so subtle, like his subtleties mm-hmm. work so well with that character. Oh, for sure. Because he, he can just give a glance, or you know, like 
and it says so much without mm. saying nothing. Right? Like oh, he, for sure. He's he's fantastic with that. Again, maybe that's the British thing too, because a lot of British actors are like, yeah, that. they can well, do so much. Classically with, trained actor, right? Yeah, like he, they can do so much with so little, right? Like it's it's pretty fascinating. And then yeah, I, I would say performance wise, again, it would probably be Brett Spiner, like having the toughest thing to do. Yeah, because right? having to be kind of flat monotone. Yeah. Okay. Uh, which is very similar to Leonard Nimoy in, in some ways and again mm-hmm. it was kind of interesting how he they was flipped. the Nimoy character he was the Spock character yeah but they flipped it right um, Leonard Nimoy being an emotional being that always has to suppress the emotions yeah. whereas trying to learn emotions trying to be human without emotions and then it, again there's some fantastic moments with Data where like one of the moments that still gets me every time I watch it is mm-hmm. uh, the Measure Man Oh, yeah. At the very end, where he uh, goes into the uh, observation lounge, mm-hmm. and Riker's there by himself because he doesn't want to attend the party because yeah. he feels like he worked against Data, right? And uh, he almost he almost had Data like killed, basically. Basically, yeah. And Data asks him, you know, why aren't you at the party? And he's like, well, I almost had you killed, basically. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, if you did not do what you had to do, your duty, like, uh, would I not have gone? And like they would have done the procedure anyway, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Yeah." So he's like, "By doing it, it hurt you, but it saved me." Hmm. And it's just such an awesome scene because it's like, it's so emotionless, mm-hmm. but there's so much emotion there that you like somebody seeing the seeing it from a totally emotionless point of view, yeah. and being so sensitive about the issue. It's such a cool, it's such a great scene. It gets me every time. Spiner is an amazing actor. Oh, he did it so like so. A well. lot, you're right. There's a lot of nuance in that role. Um, and even the writing on him is great. Oh, absolutely. There's a lot of credit to him. And again, writers. he's one of the few characters who really does grow. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Aspect, yeah. And then when the movies hit. More so. The movies really accelerate Yeah, the emotion thing is sort of, that was... It's overplayed a little. Yeah, but at the same time, Especially it, did, in it did bring in... It brought the character arc, sort of. It was, it was a natural progression. In Generations, it's played more for laughs. First Contact, it plays it for dramatic yeah, like the so. actual, even though he shuts it off, the, the crippling effect of what emotions can do to someone who's usually emotionless. Yeah, and see, and the, the idea that like he starts getting scared, it's like turn it off. Yeah, which was also interesting how they uh, that emotion chip they never were consistent with, right? Because no. in generations, it fused to his his neural net. Yeah, so they weren't able to remove it, and he no. had to deal with it. Yeah, and then in first contact, somehow he was able to shut it off. And then in Insurrection, he t- didn't even bring it with him yeah. on that mission, which was That's kind of right, funny. Yeah. He was like, how the hell did you take it out? I thought... Yeah. So that was kind of shitty writing there, not to keep that consistent in mm. some way. I mean, I can understand... I can I can forgive him being able to turn it off and maybe figuring out a way to do that. Mm. But then to like not even bring it with him? Mm-hmm. It's like, what the hell? So moving to DS9. DS9, my favorite character? I feel like it has to be Cisco for you. Yeah, I love Cisco. He's fantastic. Like, I think, I mean... Cisco's definitely up there. I mean, my favorite episode of DS9 will always be. Now I can't remember the name of it. You know the one I'm thinking of, though. The one where uh, give me a little plot because I can't read your mind. I'm not. Sure I'm not Troy. That? I'm not Troy. Uh, the one where he convinces the Romulans to uh, ally. Oh yeah, it's, a, it's uh, again among a lot of fans. That's the uh, in the pale moonlight. In the pale moonlight. That episode, I watched that. It, it, it gives me chills. Oh, that episode's it's, by far one of the best written TV shows ever. A big part of that is just his monologuing. Oh, it's fantastic. Just phenomenal. And the emotion, the pathos he injects in it, and the the animation. And the him. personal angst and like yeah. the whole, you know. And you feel his frustration. You feel yeah. his anger. You feel like he had no other choice. Like this is what yeah. he had to do, and he's damning himself for it. Well, and it's also interesting how, like, how he talks about how, like, one action led to the next, and it just... He got so wrapped into it that he couldn't get out, right? No. Like, 
And yeah, it's a fantastic episode. And far. just that performance, I think, sells that episode. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because when you think about it, it's a pretty simple... A lot of it is him just talking to the camera because he's recording yeah. a personal log. Which is very out of the ordinary. Yeah, absolutely. It's it was a, a very good, different style. It's for, a breaking from type. It's not what you would normally get in a Star Trek episode. Uh, it's an extremely different style of storytelling, and it, it works probably also because it's like the only time they do it. Like, they don't overplay that. No, it's true. Yeah, they didn't continue with it, but... Yeah, it was very well done. Like whoever came up with that, the whole concept, like it, the actual story is simple, but it's the execution which is so masterful. I remember reading something. Like, like I can't remember. There was a reason that it ended up being that way. Like it was him talking to the camera. I can't remember what the reason was, but it was a, either way, it worked out. It, it might have been hard to do narratively because there's a lot of heavy it's lifting. True, because it was going back and forth. Think about how much exposition and heavy lifting is done in those monologues. It's true. Yeah. Which. Him just talking to you, the reader, or like the, to this log, is such an easy way to just quickly explain things. Because to show that or to have to have him explain to someone else would feel clunky. Yeah, no, it's true. It and is. by having him kind of exercising his own demons, you're able to not only make it exposition, but exposition that affects the character and how he perceives events and how it impacts him. Yeah. I really love the dynamic between him and Jadzia mm-hmm. in... Uh, in the series, like the the two of them are awesome. Let's, uh, oh yeah, the whole old man, like the, the just the, him knowing her from a past life, like it's a, a great concept. It was a really cool idea and a really cool character, and it, I thought Jadzia was a fantastic character too. Like, and the, well, and Dax as well. Yeah, what's um, the second Dax called? Ezri. Ezri Dax. Yeah. I you know what I didn't mind Ezri. I know a lot of people were really upset with her, but but I thought I think you, when I was younger, I was more like, what the hell. I think when I've gone back, I've been like, oh, this is actually pretty interesting. It was a natural progression for the character. Like, you knew as soon as the actress wasn't coming back, the, 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 like, from a writing standpoint, it made the most sense for, and the, oh, for yeah. a development character. Like, Especially kill the character and take the symbiote to the next person. Like, it, it was smart. And it was kind of cool how they made her, she hadn't prepared for it. No. Right? And that was the whole thing. Was That's why she was sort of a clumsier... You know, she didn't know how to deal with all this stuff. And I, mm-hmm. thought they, I thought they played that pretty well, considering. Yeah, I think at the time I was just more like, why, they, why is she leaving? Yeah, well, I think a lot of people were upset with that. But again, it also, it's a, we're going back to, you know, how you were saying um, with Voyager, there was no stakes. Mm. And it was kind of, in one way, it was kind of cool. Like, you're in the middle of this war and there's been no casualties among the main cast. That's true. So it was kind of, one, well, you did even though it was Dukat one-on-one. Yeah, yeah. But still, it's a... Even the idea of, well, I guess DS9 still had the, maybe the illusion of change because you had the, the station kind of changing hands. You had stuff going on. Yeah, well, I thought Deep Space Nine, it was like, it got more political in a lot of ways, like between the Bajorans and the Federation. I thought that stuff was really interesting. Which, again, watching it in a modern context gives it more of an interesting perspective. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, I mean, even then, what's it like? Uh, it was obviously like some of it was based on like you know history of human history as well. Mm-hmm. Like you know, one one nation you know invading another, subjugating another. And yeah, like and it, kind of withdrawing from it. Partially. And then yeah, and seeing where you know, the scraps are left to. to, to which again is kind of cold warish, you know, like. Yep. Having you know the very much the Russians moving in, breaking in, and taking over, and then kind of retreating and letting it go, and certain places kind of struggling to find their own kind of identity. Yeah, well, how do you how do you bounce back from that? And it was kind of neat too. And the, the Federation came in; they weren't it wasn't that the Bajorans were becoming a Federation citizen, no. as they were asking for Federation assistance, which was yeah. kind of cool too. Which a very, a very big line to draw, and that was a line that they continuously went back to. Oh, and that was a whole that made it for interesting stories, right? Because it was like, where does this line? And then, of course, uh, Cisco being the emissary, 
and at first he rejected it. He mm-hmm. didn't want to be no like he didn't want to be the emissary. And then mm-hmm. by the end of it, he really embraced it. I can't remember, and I think every time we talk about DS Nine, you remind me. What happened to him at the end? Is he gone? Or is he alive? Well, that was the whole thing. I thought that was a great ending. Was because we don't know, right? He, he ends up to with join the, prophets. the prophets, right? He ends up with the prophets, which and, could really be deciphered any way he wanted to be. Well, the whole thing was the prophets have no time, right? They don't. Mm-hmm. To, and I thought that was such a cool thing because at the very end, he says to Cassidy, um, who ends up being his wife, it's a, uh, that yeah, I could be back tomorrow. I could be back yesterday. Mm-hmm. He, like he doesn't know, but he's going time. to learn. Yeah. which I thought was really cool and I thought they could have like it'd be kind of I almost wish we could do like a I'd love to see either like a straight to thing like Blu-ray or something or like or, a Netflix original type thing or like a Netflix original do like a two hour or something like that'd be interesting to see sort of follow up on Deep Space Nine and see what's going on it'd be kind of cool I feel like it, I feel like maybe too much time has passed well now, I feel like also maybe there's not enough faith in kind of the studio to believe yeah I mean, Star it, it Trek would be is tough a, to get Star it Star Trek is obviously a recognizable brand but there's no mistaking that Deep Space Nine was definitely the niche product of the all of them the most niche but I think still has the more recognition than Voyager I don't think so I think Voyager was it's more like, widely accepted absolutely it's unfortunate it because of the format <laughs> yeah and I think that's what it was and I think it's um, more familiar yeah the and idea it, of exploration in some way yeah and I think though, it's a shame because it was the weakest because there was so much potential like one of the things I think Ron Moore was saying was uh, with Battlestar Galactica, he took a lot of the stuff that he couldn't do on Star Trek and, and made like a list and applied it to Battlestar Galactica. Interesting. Like one of the things with Battlestar Galactica it is a very similar um, concept in some ways to mm-hmm. uh, Voyager, right? Uh, kind of so on the they're run. on their own. They're in the middle of space. Like, you know, yeah. they're on the run in that case. Mm-hmm. Where, uh, but they're not. They don't have access Whereas to Voyager resources. Was, that, Voyager like, was running to something, and yeah, but, was kind of running away. The cool thing was with you know with the Galactica over time, the more beat up she got, she stayed beat up, right? Like they could only fix her so much. Didn't happen. Whereas Voyager, it'd be like a big massive battle, and then it'd be like, oh, you know, perfect, you know, right down to the the paint, you know, like she was always perfect. Like by the end, unscathed. That that ship should have looked more like a Star War ship. Well, that was the whole thing, and with that that uh, year of hell two parter was Mm -hmm. the ship started falling apart and like. I thought that was a really cool idea. Like it would have been neat, and that was supposed to be a season. Like when you hear about that, that it was supposed to be a year arc, yeah. would have been really cool because that that does address that that issue of like you know they don't have Starfleet resources. They can't just pull into the nearest starbase and get no. repaired. Like you know, and they that, can't just drop down on planets even because like, there's there's you know, that was one of the funny things everywhere. was I think within the first season they like depleted their torpedoes. Yeah. Right, but somehow they still had torpedoes Stand. and their shuttlecraft. Like they should have had to like build things and create things well, and then they built the delta flyer which was kind of neat but at the same time how the fuck did they build a delta flyer and like advanced tech yeah with like i mean well, yeah they, they, used, they, they used parts of board technology but there was an episode where it was a uh, i think it was a dark frontier i think it is the that like two hour movie that they did with the board oh yeah and like the entire delta flyer is destroyed and then they build a second one it's yeah. like what the fuck delta like, flyer two. yeah like it was really brutal in that sense uh, good, so going back to DS9 characters yep so your favorite I have to say Cisco. yeah, yeah. I, I probably Cisco. I mean I, I have as a cheat I almost kind of feel like Worf just cause he was so that, fleshed though. out it's, and that's fair cause he, he does he, become a much more interesting character he became his own man in a lot of ways oh like, absolutely like and, and his his rich family lineage and the whole everything in Klingon just became much more complex 
and there's so much more. Uh, well, to, to be fair, like Next Generation really did expand on the Klingon culture. It did, and it bit. started it, but there was so much more depth added during the course of uh, DS9. Yeah, I guess there was the certain aspects that they added in, but it's like, but as a character, yeah, Worf expanded. Worf expanded in a big way, and it, again, I probably still would go with Cisco, but uh, a big soft spot for. Uh, yeah, for no, Worf absolutely. Stuff. I think bringing Worf on was a great idea, and it gave O'Brien a connection back to Next Generation, mm-hmm, which was cool. Sure. And they had those couple of times where they would be talking. I thought that, that, that was it was kind of neat because they're old buddies. Yeah, no, and they're old chipmates, right? Was, yeah. uh, I thought that was a really cool. You know, it's kind of like cool you dynamic. Know, you know, I work with people at the bank, and then sometimes I'll like I'll, I'll meet up with people again. It's been a couple of years, and yeah, you know, it's it had a very like, realistic element to for it for sure. And you know, if you're in as big an organization as Starfleet is, you're going to see people you used to know. Yeah, well, that, I mean, with. it was kind of interesting. I think that was one of the things with Next Gen again. Why did Riker never leave? And obviously, because they're main characters on the show, but yeah. Yeah, like he probably they, would well, have left tr- sooner. They kind of tried to build into the stories, though. A the little idea bit. Of, like, why don't you want to? Like, that was the whole thing going on during Best of Both Worlds, wasn't it? Like, don't you want to advance? And Shelby wanted his job. Right, absolutely. Yeah, they, 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 they did do that a lot. Yeah, there was. The, they like, brought that up a few times. I like that they at least referenced it because it would have felt awkward. Otherwise. Yeah, they, they didn't completely ignore it. Because did anyone else really elevate? Like, Well, I mean, um, Jordy went from being uh, the pilot. Yeah. To being chief engineer, which is a big jump, which is sort of a big jump. Yeah, he moved pretty quickly. I guess the idea is that he's probably because they, they had that engineering. Well, yeah, I think because he creates a lot of things. Like yeah. he's not just an engineer; he's an inventor. True, uh, that's it. And then they had like which different kind engineers of the in the first season. Like uh, there was the the female engineer, yeah. and then there was the Scottish guy. Yeah. It was sort of the throwback to Scotty in a way. Mm. Um, I guess it's interesting too. A lot of the engineers end up being inventors in their own way. Like they're having to. Well, they have to come things. up with things. Yeah. They're not just manipulating what the, the current framework, especially with you know Jordy, uh, Scotty, especially he's always pushing the limits and inventing. Yeah, that, yeah, that was one of the things with that character. I guess what's it from an acting standpoint on Deep Space Nine? Who do you think had the hardest? Hardest job, Odo. Yeah, again, it's that alien character it, always seems it, to be the. Toughest. It's not just the alien; it's the emotion, the kind of emotionless at times. Yeah, and then the the episodes where he gets to play up the nuance and express emotion, and the episodes in the holodeck, you get to see the different sides of Odo. Yeah, one of the one of the really great episodes too was the one where um, I can't remember the name now, where they go to the uh, the Defiant goes through this barrier around this planet, mm-hmm. and um, it turns out that, that they meet their ancestors. Okay, because the original Defiant when it went through it crashed. Oh, really? I don't think I remember that. You don't remember that one? I don't think so. And then Odo's still alive, but Kira had died. Oh no, I have seen that. And then Odo like tells Kira how he feels about her. Interesting. But while the original, like, or the current, I guess, that Odo was stuck yeah. in the, because he didn't know how to, in the field, he couldn't keep his shape. Oh, okay. Right? But I guess later on, he was able he to figure it, it out. So they eliminated the one Odo and left the other one. That's so interesting. And it was kind of cool, because there was a lot of character development there with yeah. that character. It was a good, really good episode. With... I, I, well, actually, another, I sub, sort of before we move on with characters, a kind of a sub-theme was the, the idea that in the DS9 universe, we had... Um, Continuity-centric episodes with the Mirror Universe. The Mirror Universe—they brought back the Mirror Universe. How many episodes did they have? Uh, I can't remember total, but there was at least four. I think there was about six. And there was—and I like those episodes had a strong continuity between them, which was cool. Oh yeah, no, it was really neat. It was kind of cool to go back to that universe because Next Generation never touched on it. So not at all. It was. It was. It was cool. DS9 actually had like a few things where they kind of threw back to TOS. So obviously the triples episode. Well, yeah. Which at the time was kind of a marvel. I mean, because of just the 
the cinematography and kind of injecting things in like nowadays you could do that pretty easily i, I think you know someone on their computer could kind of do that kind of stuff but at the time no it was a, yeah it was a big a much bigger thing it's kind of like the force gump, thing the force gump effect well that's you know? what they did they used the technology because it was paramount yeah oh yeah well, that's right so they right. actually did use the exactly the force and nowadays you can do that with anything like it's much much easier to kind of manipulate stuff like that but at the time that was groundbreaking so being able to have an episode where cisco and jadzia are back in time and interacting with the original tos and it was so cleverly done in and around that episode, so that it didn't, it, they were they were always there. You just yeah. didn't know it. Oh, it was a really fun episode, and the reason that came out was uh, it was the 30th anniversary. Was that why? 30th yeah. So they, um, I, I guess it was the like Rick Berman, and they mm. they told both um, writing staffs, like Voyager and you say something oh, yeah. for the 30th anniversary. We want to do a thing back, like a throwback to That's cool. the original. What did come what up did, with your what did Voyager? ideas? Voyagers was the um, episode with. Um, George Hackett, where he was uh, captain of the Excelsior, oh, and it turned out okay. that Tuvok was on the Excelsior the during the events of the of uh, Star Trek Six. Okay. It wasn't as good, that's for no. sure. It, um, the Deep Space Nine one was much better executed because it felt like it, it mattered. Like it, it, and the the have Cisco meet like a hero, you know? Oh yeah, no, it was really cool. You know the idea because Kirk would like obviously he was a huge hero in Starfleet. Like he was the first captain of the well, the captain of the first NCC Enterprise, I guess. Not technically the first Enterprise. Well, yeah, it was a, um, the first one to, to bear NCC seventeen oh one, I guess, as opposed yeah, the, to NX. yeah, the first Federation starship was yeah. it's an NX one was so, still just Starfleet. It, you know, Kirk is you know is interesting because I mean, so Cisco looks up to him, and so having that moment where they kind of meet each other was really cool. Was yeah, that was a well, and that was a neat moment for sure. It's a, uh, but the whole episode is. Really clever, like it's just mm-hmm. fun, and it's, it's you know. What I like about it is that for the again the idea of seeing something that's new and inspiring people to go back and watch something old. Oh, absolutely! You know, because I'm sure there's a lot of people who watch that who maybe were started because maybe again kind of like us where their family kind of watched the original and brought them into watching you know TNG and then watching the next show which is DS9 and seeing this throwback to the '60s show 30 years earlier and being like, well, that looks pretty cool. Maybe I'd like to watch that. You know, the, that's always kind of an interesting concept. Yeah, no, it was, a, it was a well done little tribute. So moving on, I got uh, Voyager. Yeah, Voyager. I was going to ask you, who's your least favorite character, Tibor? Yeah, oh, man, Voyager characters are so much tougher because they. I really don't like Janeway, and I think part of it is that I just felt like I like aspects of her a lot. I just felt it was the only show where the captain was always right. And it yeah, was, it was good. They didn't seem to want to question her as much. And maybe that's because they didn't want people to think that they were being sexist and having people question the female captain because this was the first female captain we were really having on the show. Yeah, um, it's true. It's but it just felt, it, for me, it almost worked opposite. It was like I was so tired of them never questioning her. Yeah, whereas uh, in the she other series... She made stupid decisions. No she did make some stupid decisions. Yeah. Over and over again. Yeah, in other shows, if Picard made a rash decision... Or a decision that people didn't agree with, that like people would speak up. Yeah, there was more of that feeling like there was a, it was, it was they were ruling by committee. Obviously, they deferred to the captain, but it was still a committee, and more or less. Whereas with Voyager, Janeway just made decisions, and people just had to kind of accept it. Yeah, no, that's true. It's a, uh, I think sometimes they sort of 
uh, what's that? They didn't know. They didn't want to do it because, yeah, like you said, she because she was the woman. So it's like and it you can't been, question the woman. Exactly. And, 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 yeah, it will, it will, it will hit. It will affect her authority, sort of thing. Yeah, which is which is stupid. That's not true. No, it's I mean, not. There are fe- there have been female prime ministers in the world. There have been female presidents. Women can be strong leaders. They're going to be questioned, and they can take it. And again, if you look even now, like I mean, yeah, there's been a lot more strong female characters and stuff, but. It's still there's still an issue like today. Mm-hmm. Even it's uh, it's a fine line in the because me- the media might jump on it like, well, they, they, they don't respect her authority, and it's because the writers yeah. are are being sexist, or and or you get the opposite. It's well, they they just they just let her do whatever she wants. Why aren't the, the males at least questioning the authority? Like you can kind of it's a very thin line to kind of to walk. Yeah, I just find like it's it's tough with the the Voyager characters, just because they were not as well written like uh, you know no. like, like I feel but, really bad like for Harry Kim yeah he gets hardly but for every Harry Kim you had a Tom Paris yeah but even Tom Paris like was sort of well he should never have existed he should have been a different character well originally he was supposed to be Nicholas Lacarno right Which, it was a, but I mean, because of the uh, the name like someone else came up with the character yeah they didn't want to pay that person which is a shame because it would have been cooler had they just connected it having a link would have been really awesome yeah Plus, I mean, the well, character... it's interesting with the, just to step back for a second for mm-hmm. uh, Deep Space Nine. I don't know if I mentioned it earlier, but Michelle Forbes, who played Ensign Rowe, yeah. was supposed to be the uh, Kira Norris character, mm. right? But Michelle Forbes didn't want to sign up for. Uh, I think that's probably for the best. I don't know. I think Ensign Rowe in there would have been kind of neat. It would have added a different. Uh, I did like Kira, and I liked. Uh, I, yeah, I think Kira. They did enough with Kira that I'm okay with it. Yeah, no, it's true. They changed it up enough, but I, th- I still think it would have been kind of interesting to have seen Ro in that character mm. or in that role. Like it's a, I yeah. think that would have been kind of cool. No, for sure. But yeah, going back to Voyager, it would have been nice to have just called him Nicholas the Colonel and yeah, and had that carry on from because the, they kind those, of tra- uh, they treated him like he was. Oh, absolutely. The character is exactly the same. I mean, he went to prison and all that. And like, yeah, like, it's pretty much the same character. But they're just not calling him that. Yeah, I almost wanted to be uh, like maybe the Colonel was like a, um, like an assumed name. Or like his, you know, a different name he went by. <laughs> yeah, well, and again, it was one of those, it, it was because they didn't want to pay the uh, the creator of that character. It's interesting that we even get the same actor then, though, right? Well, I guess you can do that legally, right? Like it's a, But, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess like they, they wanted that character anyway, and then it just came down to... But, like, they didn't have to get that same actor who played the original Lucarno character. No, but I think that's the character that they wanted, right? They so, wanted the way he portrayed him? Yeah. Yeah. That's why they went with So your that. favorite actor, or character, and... Uh, it's so tough for Voyager. It's my least favorite series, so it's for me. It's Picardo. Yeah, he had the as, biggest arc as the out Doctor of, out of all of them. He, he he had the most defined arc. Um, I think he had a lot. Again, it was kind of a tough character to do at first because he's very one note at the beginning, and he gets yeah. to develop him kind of like Data because Data was kind of one. That's the thing is that he We're was very grab- similar to Data in they a all lot ha- of ways. They all kind of have this Both. emotionless, tough character like. Data, Odo, um, you know, yeah. Doctor, they're, they're very similar. They're all sort of the alien character. They're that formula character. Yeah. And they, they're the ones with the most progression in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's true because you sort of have to see it from there. But I think for me, it's also that he seemed like the actor was having the most amount of fun. No, that's true, yeah, with that character. And yeah. maybe it's because that character allowed him to do that. I mean, he was kind of the most joyous character there was. Yeah, I mean, they started giving him things, like the, he became the opera singer. And like, Yeah, I think the, if I had to say a character that I thought was more just kind of irritated by would be Neelix. Yeah, it's true. Neelix but was I think, a bit more irritating. But I think a lot of that's just because they were, they were pushing him so hard. Yeah, he was... He felt like a little... He was like the Wesley Crusher. 
Like he was an adult, but he acted like a kid. Yeah, I guess. It's a, he, he was I was going to say Flocks was kind of similar in some ways. A little Though I think Flocks really. was a lot less uh, irritating. He was more mature. Yeah. Whereas with Neelix, he was he was kind of the, the immature, childlike wonder of, you know, and I, that just became a little much. He kind of was like their, their, their sidekick, their... You know, yeah, he wasn't really a full member of the crew to a certain degree. Almost. Yeah, like yeah. You I know, mean, they made him like morale officer or whatever, which is right? Kind of and dumb. So, yeah. And he was the cook, which was kind of cool that they had to conserve power and not use the replicator. Yeah, so but see, again, that was such a bullshit thing. Like that, like right? It was a, they used the replicator whenever they wanted. They used the holodecks. I know. Like I think personally, to be honest, I really wish they would have just said we can't use holodecks because mm-hmm. they had too many of those holodeck formula episodes for sure. You know, like, and some of them were kind of interesting, but again, it was it was a crutch. Yeah, it was a crutch, absolutely. It was like, a story there was too, ma- too much, like, they were just repeating things too much. Like, it just became, you know, like, like you said, it's a crutch, basically, absolutely. Like, the writers didn't know what to do, mm-hmm. right? And then, they, like, it was Part of the problem like, is, again, this is back in the era when you take, uh, well, it's still going on. They, they had an episode ordered to film. Yeah, that's true. And that's tough. When you get to run your own show, again, like, yeah, the you, you get cable 22 shows, episodes, you got to do something, right? Exactly. So, yeah. You have to fill it with something. Whereas, it, sometimes, especially, you know, you'll, you'll get maybe. 10 good episodes but they would stretch it out over 22 like in, in current shows like certain some of these continuity heavy shows yeah. like I think the best thing that ever happened to Lost was when they decided we're ending in this year we're going to have three more seasons each season's going to have 16 yeah, episodes yeah they knew what they were going to do done like yeah. then you know exactly how to plot it out the biggest problem with that show is in its third season they didn't they, they just had to keep things going they were kind of cycling things around once you know your end or you have an idea of how you're going to be able yeah. to end it and how many episodes you have left you can break things down so much easier there's no more padding now it's all plot well, I think that's part of the reason why these cable shows are so much more successful too right you do 12 episodes mm-hmm. you have more can money can you imagine Mad Men over like 22 episodes nah, it wouldn't season? work it wouldn't work like sometimes even 13 episodes is almost too long because some of the no like, I don't think so well Mad not Man's really fantastic but but yeah, the, no, it wouldn't but, work in a 22 But you know format. that there are usually one or two episodes every season of Mad Men where it's a little slow. Oh, absolutely. Especially at the beginning. But it's more like, like a novel. It's a different sort of thing. Yes, you're right. It's structured differently. But network television traditionally isn't set up like that. Yeah, I would say. Um, yeah, no, it's interesting. It, it definitely makes limitations. Though, and there's you know benefits, I guess, to both in some ways. That's why you end up with like filler episodes sometimes. Cause well, yeah, just... and then you have the bottle shows where yeah. they run out of money, so they need to save money somewhere mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. But, oh, for sure. Sometimes, though, like, uh, again, Sometimes going, going back to that Enterprise that. episode, that was one of the best episodes, was mm-hmm. uh, Shuttlepod 1, yeah. because they had just the two guys, but it, mm-hmm. it was a great character piece, and yeah. fantastic. Cool. So, let's let's nail out these characters here. Oh, yeah. I, I guess I'm going to have to go with the Doctor as well, because... He has the most, uh, he has the biggest arc. Yeah, so he's, the, he's most the most def- interesting character in a lot of ways. I, the... I did like 709, though, quite a bit, too, like... I really hated the the uniform. I think that was the stupidest move, the cat suit thing. Like yeah. it was just dumb. They should have just given her a standard like science uniform or, or something I, more like civilian clothing. I think I just like, got tired of the overall focus on her, and it became so much about her. Yes, it's true. Some, yeah, they overdid seven of nine in some ways. It's like, almost like they said, "Well, these other characters aren't interesting enough, so we're going to focus on this new character." Well, and again, yeah, Especially she, Henry she did have a huge arc, right? Like, and she had a much more flushed out character. So it's kind of a shame because Whereas Harry Kim never. Everybody got else got yeah sacrificed, and even Paris in some ways. Yeah. I mean, Chakotay did, didn't really get a lot of. Yeah, problems. absolutely. Chakotay, I thought was not very well because he's one of the most again. They threw 
doing that weird romance with him in 709 right at the end. What the yeah, hell is what's with, up with that? Why the, yeah. Like, Whereas the romance with with Paris and Bellana felt more earned. Yeah, absolutely. It was one of built the, up over time. One of the few times where we actually saw a long-term romance grow. Yeah. I mean, this had already been done on, on the episode with, with uh, Jadzia. But they and, even uh, had a kid. Like there's... Yeah, well, yeah. Even though that came in the last episode, though, again. Yes, but at least saw a little bit more development. There, there was a bit more development, for sure. And that, I and did then, like Paris a lot, actually. When I, now that I think about it, when I was watching the show, I really enjoyed Paris in, yeah. in, in some ways. Well, but he kind of has that Hawkeye factor I talked about before. Yeah. It's kind of this... He's, he's more of a rogue He's a bit of that character. rogue. By having him be an even lower rank, he's able to kind of be more reckless. Well, and plus he wasn't proper Starfleet, right? He had yeah. been thrown out. So yeah, when I was watching it, it was probably Paris was the character that I enjoyed Which the is most. too bad because in some ways, Chakotay should have had that rougher edge. Yeah, because he was the Maquis guy, but he, he just became sort of the laptop pretty fast. Kind of, yeah. I was like, okay, Janeway, okay, Janeway. And, and, and the spiritual advisor. <laughs> yeah, it's a dead. Which, that part made sense because of the Maquis, but again, they're not just that. They're more. Yeah, I know, it's true. Like, I really wish they would have explored the Maquis conflict a bit more. Like The whole concept of Maquis, Maquis is, is quite interesting in Genesis. But... And they, well, they did a better job on Deep Space Nine again, because yeah. the Maquis, what's, uh, like, uh, what's his name? Um... Oh man, what's the Eddington, mm. the security chief? Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, him and uh, and Cisco, like that was some really yeah, cool stuff. There's someone I've forgotten just in general who I think is an unsung hero, but in every episode he's in, he's almost always eminently watchable. Barkley. Yeah, no, he's fantastic too. And they he, did end up bringing him into Voyager. Yeah, he was a big part of Voyager. Like yeah, he, he got a nice little arc in there. Yeah, actually, I enjoyed him on Voyager because it was kind of cool to see. I like the actor, up. like because he felt like the everyman. He was the he was the most one of the most flawed characters in some ways. Oh yeah, and absolutely, that was part of the. I think that was a conscious decision. To it was do part that. of his charm that he was he was never he wasn't comfortable. Perfect. He was actually pretty fascinating. Like he did a lot of really cool stuff, but he was never the most comfortable. He wasn't the smartest. Yeah, he, he would have some good ideas. He was kind of the everyman. Yeah, no, he was a cool character, and it was nice to see him on Voyager. He was yeah. actually one of the. And that's again kind of the sad thing about Voyager too. They had to go to the old stuff they, they brought, brought in, in Troy uh, yeah they brought in Troy as well which was kind of like the show couldn't and and one thing that always couldn't bothered stand on me, its own legs a little bit which is again about the fact that it couldn't kind of be its own thing is that they repurposed the Borg for them which always bothered me yeah the, what's it again well you, you could argue the Borg sort of went sour a little bit with the Queen a little so in uh, First Contact First Contact but again it was still it was it was a Picard thing like I was it was, it was kind of and again Q it took Q away from Picard. Like Picard, yeah, two main a, they had things. to throw. He was only in one Deep Space Nine episode. Like the Borg were so personal, both to Cisco and to Picard, in very different ways. Yep. But then they had to kind of shoehorn a strong Borg conflict into Voyager. Well, it only made sense being in the Delta Quadrant. But yeah, they almost overused the Borg a little. They bit. totally did, and it's because the Borg were so popular. Yeah. And they were in a movie, and they knew that more people would watch if they had Borg. That's what they, yeah, it's But true. I just found bur- burnt out on the Borg. Yeah, they did. They did. They overused the Borg for Plus, sure. Plus, the Borg became a little less interesting when there was in that species that was kind of... A472. A472, which made the Borg scared. It's a little less interesting when the Borg are, you know, not the most fearsome. Well, that's, again, it's, it's one of those things like Superman almost, right? Being so yeah. invincible no, you're right. right you bring the Borg in and how is it that this little shitty Voyager intrepid class ship mm-hmm. that's you know nowhere near as tough as a galaxy class ship yeah. and the galaxy class ship gets kicked out its ass it's like it's, it's Batman versus Superman yeah, like, yeah absolutely how does this make sense yeah but Voyager always walked out right yeah. and a 472 is kind of like this kryptonite we didn't need 
Yeah, it's good. I mean, I, I didn't mind the eight four seven two as like I a concept pref- as a character. I preferred the Borg being this unrelenting force because that's what made them so interesting. It, yeah, they were much cooler in, in the next generation because because a villain, an, un, an unrelenting, so powerful villain, is fascinating. And again, one of the reasons they brought in the Queen in, in First Contact was because the studio was like, well, you know, you have to make the Borg like somehow relatable as a villain, right? Like, mm. you have to have a face for the villain in a way. But that was the coolest thing about the Borg and, and was that they were a faceless villain, right? It yep. was just a drone hive mind that you didn't know what the hell they were doing and why mm-hmm. they were doing it. They were just doing it. And yeah. that was one of the scariest things about them. For sure. And that's why Best that of Both you, Worlds worked so well. you can't put a face to it. Because it was like, it was a... Um, you know, they, like Picard says, they just stripped him down like to yeah. nothing, right? Like they assimilate. That's what they do. Yeah, they, that's they, their thing. They, they take spare parts. Yeah, you know, and just, just make it a part of the collective, right? No, for it's sure. Just, though, again, it, I guess when you think about it too, the board really did grow a lot after yeah. First Contact, right? There was a lot of the mythology in, in Voyager, a lot of that yeah, stuff that we it, it's sort of take old. for granted as it's just yeah, the board. It's not all bad. It's I, not, but yeah, you're I just, right. It, it just bothered me just because. It, that it became Janeway's kind of crux to bear, yeah. especially with the, the with the ending, with her, you know, in the future coming back. With like, to be the fair, though, I thought the last episode was pretty good. Like going to the, like so, oh, the, the, their their gateway, like the, the board. to get them back using the transwarp was, and giving them cool. and, and taking a big blow to the, uh, the that board. was kind of neat. That was part of the stuff I didn't mind because again, yeah. the expanding the board mythology, I don't have a problem with. It's just more I didn't like that it became more of like a. The Voyager was kind of the the the, the thaw in their sort of the, yeah it, the thorn in their their paw yeah and then the Q stuff too was oh as, Q as was good, really bothered me because he was such a personal Picard villain yeah and not villain sorry antagonist because he was yeah never he's villain. not even a villain it's true yeah he's a force of nature he's an antagonist yeah and I just thought they took away a lot of his air of mystery and just made him. Yeah, and that whole uh, Q time, uh, what was it, the uh, Civil War that they had, it was just so weird, it was not... Again, it felt like they needed to inject interest, and they took... By taking it from something old. A popular concept from a more popular show, repurposing it for this new show. Yeah. And, which just speaks of, we don't have any good ideas of our own, that we're going to have to pirate our own ideas. Yeah, no, it's true, and in concept, Voyager was so, like, it was a great concept. It could have been anything. They could have taken it on a totally different direction. They could have, like, the Year of Hell stuff was fascinating. It didn't even need the Maquis stuff, to be honest. Like, that was just an no, extra they thing. Didn't, they didn't need to. But they didn't do anything They wanted anyway. to bring that in as a, as a way of having conflict. But they didn't do it Between the way. characters, and then they really didn't do much no. with it, which is unfortunate. I mean, Bolana, I guess, was the most uh, conflicted which is, character which in is some sad, ways. Which is sad, because Chakotay should have been the one. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, he loses his ship and, like, has to end up, like, answering to this bitch. Like, what yeah. the hell? And he never questions her. He becomes he her up, yeah, he, advisor. Yeah, absolutely. He becomes the Indian chief. Yeah. No, it's, it's kind of interesting. So then we move on from that. Let's go to Enterprise, yeah. Um, my favorite character on Enterprise was Trip. I love Trip. Yeah. Um, it really bothered me in the last episode when they killed him. Because it was so needless. It was so needless. And, it, and the thing being with that... I mean, there's a lot of issues with that last episode being... Uh, it's very much it's a next generation episode yeah and I get what they were going for and even they I think realized because if you watch some of the interviews and stuff yeah. they realized where they went wrong was like and what they were trying to do and it was trying to be like a swan song mm. to that run of 18 years of Star Trek you know and, yeah. and um, going back just for a second with Enterprise I remember it's weird how in the first season they were really playing up the, the decontaminated decontamination chamber yeah they're trying to be edgy with that very sexualized like it was very awkward like well again it was interesting because they were like i get it 
well, the whole thing was originally they didn't even want a transporter on on uh, mm-hmm. on Enterprise. Yeah. It was the studio that forced them to put a transporter. Because it's an iconic element. Well, because, of Star Trek. Yeah, which is stupid. How can you have Star Trek without the transporter? Yeah, the whole idea was that they were going to use the shuttle pods and go, you yeah. know, use shuttles. Because even like those sound effects are so iconic. Right. Yeah, and it's a shame because again, I think Enterprise suffered a lot from network uh, interference. Because yeah. there's a lot of ideas there that they wanted to do. Like, for example, there was another great story that I, it was on the Blu-rays. And it's uh, Braga talking about one of the executives from, I guess it would be UPN, right? Yeah. Or would it have been on the WB at that point? I don't know. I think it was UPN. I can't remember now. It's a, but, yeah, it was UPN at the beginning. So, anyway, apparently he comes down and he's like, yeah, it's a, we want to have, you guys have a, what was it? You guys have a restaurant on the ship. And uh, Bragg is like, well, we, yeah, it's a mess hall, but yeah. It's yeah. A, and, uh, and then he's like, yeah, we want to bring in a band, like, every week. What? And have, like, a different brand, a band. And uh, then at the end of the episode, we can, like, you know, list off the music that they play. It's not the bronze. Well, it's just really, yeah, exactly. Like, the bronze, it's a, uh, but it's funny because when you look at, um, like, One Tree Hill and, like, shows like that, they, that's the exact formula. Well, All well, those shows well, Beverly on that Hills network. Well, Beverly Hills back in the day with the Peach Pit, and you could do that. Well, but and all those shows that that became the formula. So they were trying yeah. to throw Enterprise into that formula. And he's like, "You realize that this takes place like in space in a hundred years from <laughs> now, where all these bands will be dead, yeah. right? So like, how do you get these bands? Like, they obviously the network executives didn't know. There are ways around it, though. You're playing a hollow reel. Yeah, but they didn't have a holodeck, which again was great. They didn't yeah. have a holodeck. Like they 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 took they didn't a lot have of that crutch, right? The, the lot of the crutches they kind of they took had them to away. strip it down a bit, which was, I thought was great, and it could have been more interesting. And even the the phasers at the beginning, like you know, the, the they had only the two settings. Yeah, I would say best not to confuse them. Like. Yeah, no, it was, there was some uh, some really cool ideas there, and I thought they did a good job of trying to uh, keep it modern to the the time that it was being made in, in the sense of the technology and like the look. Well, I guess what was I remember my dad watching it and being like. I get that it's supposed to be before the original, but now that technology is so out of date, like some of the stuff, like the lift and stuff, like the, like it was just less automatic, and our technology at that point was becoming much more automatic and miniaturized. Yeah, no, but I thought they did a good job of like. To, I mean, obviously, they, what's that? They did their best. They had to keep like the communicator. They wanted to keep it because it's an iconic. Uh, of course. Well, that was another thing actually. From uh, apparently. In 79, right? When they mm-hmm. did the uh, motion picture? Yeah. They had the wrist communicators. I don't know if you remember that. Vaguely. It's that, uh, well, all of them had wrist communicators. Yeah. So it was, a, it was a much smaller prop, and it was on their mm-hmm. wrist. And then um, in the next one, they brought back the flip communicator. Well, those Because it was an iconic thing. They also got rid of those ridiculous pajamas. Well, the uniforms, uniforms were terrible, but that's... I mean, if you want pajamas, go ahead, but... Yeah, no, the uniform, those spandex uniforms, again, which Roddenberry brought back again in the next generation. For the yeah. first two seasons, those uniforms were terrible. They looked cool. better, not much. They did better. look better on next gen, but I think the third season uniforms where they made them two. Oh yeah, two well, pieces. It was thicker material. It was a wool tell. versus a spandex. Yeah, there was, was a certain feel to it. They looked a lot better, but anyway, it was just interesting how that you know that wrist communicator idea got dropped for mm-hmm. an iconic prop. Yeah. So yeah, going back to Enterprise, they brought back that iconic idea of the the flip communicator, even though it was, it was a button that pushed it open and stuff yeah. like that but it, like I just thought you know the flat panels on the bridge it was kind of cool to see like all those and you know tactile buttons again yeah like it was, it was, it was kind of neat and I thought obviously where people were like oh well it's so much more futuristic than what they had on you know Kirk's Enterprise and mm. TOS but you have to like could you imagine trying to bring back I know. you know the jelly beans like on, yeah. the, on the on the panel it just wouldn't work probably wouldn't work no I mean though 
to be fair, there are guys that you can't like please the, everyone. The new voyages and stuff like that, the uh, the fan stuff, which is mm. fascinating. Like some of the stuff is really, really good, well yeah. written, and you know, and the, their sets are like incredible. They look just like they did on TOS. No, they do. And it still works to a certain degree, but I just don't think you can. You have to sort of do something different. Mm. Like those those guys with those those episodes, they're paying homage to the original. And they're coming up with original, like, ideas and stuff. And it's still really good. But yeah. I think, you know, Star Trek, part of it is looking forward and and, yeah. and trying something new. And I think Deep Space Nine achieved that with the war. Is that what and, disappoints you more with having the, with the reboots as well? Is we're just seeing new takes on something that's old? We're not seeing new anymore? We're just seeing... Uh, yeah, I just yeah, it's it's sort of like we've gone back. I mean, I'm really happy that they made it an alternate universe. True, but because it, it's but a lot of it feels universe. At, if you ask me, a lot of it at times can feel like kind of a, a reheated meal in the microwave. I mean, it tastes good, but it's not as good as it was before you you know refrigerated it and, and reheated it. Yeah, like I mean, I liked certain elements that they they tried. What's it? Um, that was another thing with Voyager was the reset button happened a lot. Where yes. they would reset things, and it was just really annoying. Um, with the new movies, I thought, you know, destroying Vulcan and leaving it destroyed. Kind of a badass move. Again, yeah, it was cool. And I think I mentioned this on my other podcast. Which, uh, was It's unfortunate because that aspect of the, the Vulcans would be a really interesting thing to explore in a TV series. But you can't in a film. No, you can't. Right? But I thought it was a bold move and not resetting it. Because I honestly thought that they were going to somehow reset that. And as you said, that's why at times Star Trek can work much better in a, in a long-form format. Yeah. Not necessarily in a 22-episode like you know, season type of thing, but just more... A longer time span, so you can kind of see the changes, or especially if something like that, see the ramifications. Because a lot of what Star Trek is is not about the big act. Well, I mean, the new movies are, but it's not just about the actions; it's about the world. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that. And, and Star Trek's always the best when it when it discusses real issues, you know. And but it, like puts it into an interesting format of, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know. And, and that's why this it's somebody, entertaining at the same time. It's not hitting your. It's not preaching at you. No, you know, like, it, but it's still it like gets the, the best, message across. Some of the best TOS episodes. I'll sometimes catch them on TV and I will watch them. And I'm like, wow, like there's levels here that as a kid I never saw. Oh, absolutely. You just see the phasers. You see like you know, yeah. Again, you, yeah. You see the flashiness. Yeah. But there's a real interesting and yes, it's still hokey at times. But there's some really core concepts that are important. Oh, absolutely. And that's the thing I find with the new movies is more flash than content right even though like the char- I can say flash because that could also refer to the oh lens the flares. fucking lens flares yeah well, <laughs> so that's a whole another thing but so back to enterprises for a moment yeah. characters characters so again trip. trip is my favorite what's that for me it's Hoshi yeah Hoshi was interesting I, I liked Hoshi it's kind of interesting too how um, Uhura in the new one is very much very Hoshi. much Hoshi yeah it's so much they gave, they gave the communications officer so much more to do which is interesting because we didn't really get a communications officer like something solely in that title in next gen well because at that point the universal translator was established oh, that's true right so it was kind of neat to take again taking that away from yeah from uh, I like the idea of making it more she of a had to learn game. the languages right she was a linguist yeah you, you do bring up a good point uh, the current Uhura is really totally dependent upon Hoshi like I, I feel, like oh, they they, they that, totally that took her, yeah they totally they stole everything about what makes because Hoshi if you look Hoshi. at Ahura in the original series, uh, she really is a receptionist in a lot of ways, kind right? Of. Like she just picks up a phone. It sounds yeah, she kind of is. What's that? I mean, they did have some really great stuff like with her. It was still groundbreaking where she time. went on away missions and stuff. Like yeah. she did have what's it? Absolutely, it was groundbreaking at the time. But she was a receptionist in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, yeah. But Hoshi was, and more again, like, that terrible, the one fucking scene I really hate in Star Trek Six. When they go to the Klingon uh, 
border. Yeah. And they're the Enterprise is crossing the Klingon border, and they're like, "Oh, we can't use the universal translator because oh. they'll 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 detect it, right?" Yeah. And then Uhura is sitting there with books, yeah. and she doesn't know how to speak Klingon and can't communicate. In any that was way. weird. Like it's it's so she horrible. She picked it up because she should have been able to like that at least be at get the, by. That should be at the academy. The, exactly. It, it should be on the basic. Like, and that's why it, Hoshi was so interesting in that sense mm-hmm. because it, it added an element to that character. My my sorry my my, my least favorite. Uh, Lieutenant Uhura moment is from uh, Star Trek Five for Sexy Dance. The Sexy Dance, yeah. What the hell? Is that, that was Shatner probably fulfilling some. Fantasy what is of his. that? There's no need. I mean, like she's she's an attractive woman, but she's older at that point, much older. Because apparently, uh, uh, this is another interesting thing from the. Like, how old series. was she then? Like in her forties, fifties, fifties? Yeah, she was. Uh, she must have been in her fifties. Like, how old is she now? Like in her seventies? Uh, I'm not sure, but yeah, she's got like Star Trek happened. Star Trek. Shatner's now like 81, right? So yeah, a, and she was a little younger. Yeah, she's probably in her 70s. Yeah. So I mean, so that's it's weird to watch that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. She was in fantastic shape. Oh, she's for a sure. dancer, right? Yeah. So she's uh, always been in fantastic shape. But yeah, it was a bit weird. It was again, it was probably Shatner fulfilling something. It didn't feel very Star Trek. Weird fantasy of his, because yeah, there's a lot of problems with Star Trek Five. Though again, one of my favorite scenes is the camping scene. Oh yeah, that, that's, that's one the, of my favorite scenes. But that's those the best part of the movie. It's it's fantastic. Best part of the movie is the, just the first ten minutes. Yeah, no, that that opening sequence is not the not the the rock climbing and Spock getting with the rocket boots, but the, the, the campfire, the campfire, the campfire that, yeah. that that was fantastic. I didn't mind the rocket boots. Uh, Again, as a kid, me. part of this is because I remember it as a kid. It's true. And as a yeah. kid, I'm like, oh man, that's awesome! I want rocket boots. Yeah, I want. I also want a you know um, a hoverboard from Back to the Future. <laughs> yeah, where's that? They got one more year. That's true, right? Yeah. Uh, plus, there has to be a lot more Jaws. Because wasn't that like Jaws 3D or something? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, but um, going back to the, the Hoshi thing, that was really cool. And um, the other thing, that's what I quick, loved about quickly, the... was a, uh, to TOS. Apparently, the original kiss between yeah. uh, uh, Kirk and Uhura was supposed to be Uhura and Spock. Oh, really? Yeah, and then it was Shatner that objected. He's like, yeah. I'm the captain, I would kiss her. Oh, really? So, yeah, maybe that's where that all stems it's from. Interesting. And interesting becoming the first interracial kiss on television, yeah. which was a huge thing. It was a huge thing, very groundbreaking. Um, but, yeah, again, that, that was another thing I liked about the new movies, the Uhura and Spock. Yeah. I thought that worked. Um, it did, yeah, it was a new element, but not one that felt tacked on. I hated it in the new one, in Into Darkness, when they were in the, on the away mission. And they were bickering. Yeah, it was a little they were like the bickering couple and the captain sitting there. It was, it was, it was more, so unprofessional. It was more understated in the first one. Yeah, it was more subtle. I like that. It's a, um, again, something that you could explore better in a series. Yeah. I mean, they did sort of do that with T'Pol and um, yes, and Trip. But even that sometimes felt a little bit more like, well, they wanted to get Jolene Blaylock kind of naked. Which is, well, because she's an attractive woman. Yeah, no, but to be fair... It's like, kind it, of the 7 of 9 syndrome. Yeah, no. Even her outfits were very like... Sometimes, the, yeah, Star Trek doesn't handle nudity that greatest. No. So, though, it's kind of funny because it's, but then you look at, it's like, always someone, been an element. Because even in the original series, it was very scantily yeah. clad women. You look at someone like Major Kira from DS9, and they played her very unsexy. Her her like her uniform was very again like, that was a, a stupid network I don't know what the hell it is with cat suits yeah like her original uniform was a bit more bulky a bit more military but yeah. it made sense I yes. liked that and then they had to slim it down to this like really yeah um you know but yeah it's kind of interesting like that the Spock and horror thing I thought worked really well because again if if Sarah can uh, you know marry a, a human. Yeah. And he's a full Vulcan. Yeah. Like, how, you know, how is it that, that Spock, who's half human, like, can't date a human? Like, yeah. it just, uh, anybody that disagrees no with that, I, I just find it weird. 
Because the whole, like, Spock shouldn't exist. I think it's just because it didn't happen originally. I guess. So but beholden to... But I thought even in the original series, there was a couple things. There was hints at, like, Ahura. Mm. There's a, uh, and, and Spock having a thing. There's a few a few episodes. There's some key moments there where it's like, eh, yeah. I can kind of see that. One of my favorite uh, favorite things about Hoshi, I just love the her in the mirror episode. Yeah, where she becomes the empress. So badass. Yeah, it was and, awesome. And they gave her a really cute. so hot and cutthroat. Yeah, she was. Cool. And I like that because they always kind of played Hoshi as kind of the the adorable kid sister for Archer. Yeah, yeah, was. yeah. You know, like she was tremendously talented, but she was like the youngest member of the team, wasn't she? Well, she was, and she was very nervous about space and being yeah. in space. So they played her as kind of being this young ingenue. She was so, sort of like Barkley in a little way, like a little, like the, having yeah. those like quirks. Yeah, and being like a little not bumbling, but having the el- that element yeah, there. She would ramble uh, yeah. at times. And then seeing the mirror version, the total flip opposite, this sexual, you know, powerful woman. And I must have. I, mean, I remember hearing her speak at like a convention. She said like she had a ball. Like she loved being able to. Play oh, to do that, yeah, to, yeah, because it's a. Cause I she guess for to, an actor, right? Cause she sometimes. gets to kick ass. You know, it's yeah. not only is it out of her character finally gets to really take center stage and be a badass. Yeah, no, it's and, true. And be the one manipulating and playing with others, and it's taking on such a powerful role. And again, a character who usually doesn't get to be sexy, getting to be this sexually confident, powerful woman. Yeah, and, and again, extremely hot in that episode. No, it was cool. It was good. 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 To, that was. A good, it was a lot of fun. Those mirror episodes were again. It was a good romp. And I liked it again because it was season four. Not only was it a mirror episode, it was a mirror episode that played nicely in the continuity. Yeah, it was cool how they brought the Defiant in and, and brought them to the future, sort of. I guess because kinda, it was yeah. future technology. But yeah, it's kind of to us to kind of look backwards, but but like no. Yeah, no, it was a cool way of nice doing touches. it. And again, that that a lot of that comes from Manny Cotto, right? Mm-hmm. They brought him in in the fourth season. Which best decision they ever made? It was too little, too late, though. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Well, again, there another thing. There was a, I can't remember. Like, I just picked up season three. It just came out this Tuesday. Okay. Um, and I was watching the the documentary, and it was uh, the guy that played Reed, Malcolm Reed. Okay. What's it? He was saying how there was another show on UPN that kept getting all this praise, but Enterprise was still beating it in the numbers. Oh really? Every week, like week yeah. in and week out, and I can't. I don't know what show he's referring to. I have I to like, was. look to see what was on at the same time. But it's just kind of funny how like like you know the network really didn't know what to do with Star Trek Enterprise, mm-hmm. right? And it's a shame because yeah, can you imagine what could have come from after the fourth season? Oh yeah, because the fourth season I think found that nice balance of like you had that one year's indie arc in the third season, which really brought the show into the modern time sort of and in made it made it different, made it its own thing. And then We're not a little long though, maybe a little long, but being in that full season, but. Those little, still, the smaller arcs of three episodes or two episodes yeah. was a cool way of doing it. I think they only had like two standalone episodes. I still don't remember how uh, how the Cold War ever ended, the Temple Corps. That was really rough because apparently, again, the um, the Temporal Cold War was an idea that Bernard uh, Braga had for another series, mm-hmm. but it ended up incorporating it to Enterprise to bring the future element into it. Okay. Because the network wanted something for the future. Like, they didn't exactly like the prequel idea. No, are we wrong? Was Enterprise not actually on UPN? No, it was. Okay. It was. It started on UPN, absolutely. Okay, and then, you, I guess, when did UPN be... When was it dismantled? Uh, that's a good question. I, I, don't, I can't remember if it ended on UPN. Uh, I think it did, though. Because it, 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 it was 2001 when 2006. it started. 2006. Yeah, so it, it ended sept- on UPN. September 2006, it merged into the CW. Yeah, that's when it became a CW. And you, all those CW shows have that stupid, this was our song for the week, go download it on iTunes. Uh, it's funny, that story, because it totally makes sense. 
Here's but yeah, Enterprise, had it gone a little longer, I think uh, we would have saw some really cool stuff from it. Mm-hmm. And like the fourth season was, was phenomenal. There were some really great stories. You know, I'm looking at a list of the television shows that UPN broadcast, and for the life of me, I cannot figure out what would have been like kind of their big what hit. What would have been that big hit? I don't know. I don't know. But it is kind of interesting that, that that's the case. I think part of it, too, probably was the budget. It was probably a higher budget to do than the other stuff. Probably. But. I mean, they probably... And then probably the well, other they did, thing... They did like, have Buffy. Buffy was huge. That's yeah. true. They did take it over. From, and they had, uh, what, two se- uh, two seasons? Yeah. Six and seven. Not their best, but... They did yeah, it, and I guess franchise fatigue, maybe it was. It was just, you know, 18 years of consistent production. They had Roswell. Uh, maybe that was, that was it. I'm not sure, but it was, I don't think it matters all that much right it now. It doesn't, no. But it was a... Yeah, like I think maybe a gap between Voyager and Enterprise would have been good. I think they probably would have needed some time off, and mm-hmm. it might have been good to take a year or two. And, make people uh, want it. Right? Yeah, make people want it again, right? Cause yeah. it's a, it was always on. It was like it's a, and yeah, now like looking to the future, it probably didn't help in a lot of ways that you had it coming out right away. But not only was it coming out right away, it was going in the past. Like you weren't seeing the continued development. Like people may have. Maybe they would have been more interested to see a continuation in current continuity. To see more of the after effect of what happened in DS9, which would have ended, what, like four or five years earlier? Um, yeah, to see the uh, Starfleet afterwards. Well, to, to, to see what was going on with Voyager afterwards. Like, to see the, like, what well, that's the impact... That's one of the things about Voyager I was kind of hoping was that I always wanted them, to get, if they were going to get home, mm-hmm. uh, to get home like a season or season or two seasons before oh, yeah. the show was going to end. Well, even if... Even, I, I guess the, my problem with that was that I always everyone wanted to see what happens after they get home. Yeah, you never get to see it because it would have brought in like a whole bunch of interesting concepts. Even if it had just and been, what would have happened to the Maquis crew? Even if it had just been like an epilogue episode, that would have been fine. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I you think know? they should have done more with that. And to be honest, it would have been kind of cool because it would have been kind of a, a set on the decks. So you would have been able to see how everything kind of finished out. Yeah, like what Janeway. Obviously, we know Janeway became an admiral from Nemesis, but we didn't get that from the show. No, but yeah, it would have been kind of neat. Like, would she have still gone on to be a captain for a while? Or, like, yeah, it would have been kind of neat. I always thought it would, be, would have been kind of cool to bring them back while Deep Space Nine was still on. Yeah. And have them sort of be thrown into the war. No, for sure. I agree. Well, that's about all the time we have for today. So, uh, and I think we, we covered every, every series, and we've talked about every, a little bit of everything. We've talked for about. Two hours and like ten minutes. So this is it's a lot of a lot of time. This is the longest episode we've done together, or maybe the Wolverine one. The Wolverine one was long, but that's because we took like another hour to do. <laughs> it was news about Wolverine anymore. Yeah. Uh, so in the future, we'll try to do another episode, which will focus more on uh, maybe our, our particular series, particular favorite episodes, arcs, anything like that. Yeah. No. Sounds good. So thank you for joining us for episode one thirty six of Comic Shenanigans. This has been our spotlight on Star Trek. Uh, thank you, Tibor, for joining us. And uh, if you want to uh, send us any feedback, emails, etc., you can do so to comicshenanigans at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook. You can also post our HG Realms threads that we put up. And please rate and review the podcast. Uh, it's the best way to have the show grow its audience, but we do need these iTunes ratings and reviews. Um, and so thank you for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.